took a second something happened with youtube with the handshake the dig digital handshake hope all is well took a second to get that right what's up everybody welcome to the show it's gonna be an episode a solo episode of call me ignorant in a couple days the podcast what's up everybody in evening stream we're gonna be talking about jordan peterson tonight looking forward to this been planning this one for a while we're gonna be watching some interviews with the man it all started from a a headline I saw from Not the Bee, which was interesting. This conversation between Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro is the most based thing you'll watch this week. Well, they haven't seen the Daily Ignoramus then, but 
I mean, the tweet I put out just now said, says, streaming some thoughts on Jordan Peterson right now, his influence on me, playing some interviews, and explaining why, in the end, he is not based. A dissection, if you will. A dissection of the, the ideology of Jordan Peterson. You know, I'm not usually your deep dive guy, but I actually am pretty well versed on the arguments and the thoughts on this guy. You know, I'm going to give the guy a fair shake. We're going to watch a couple of these interviews. There's a couple long ones. Should be about a two and a half hour stream. Looking forward to it. Going to be pretty relaxed. And we should be sliding in uh, just after uh, 10 p.m. Eastern time. I had to get my ducks in a row a little bit, but welcome, everybody. Thanks for coming. Steven is my name, but most of you know that. Welcome to any new people. We're streaming over there on seven different platforms right now. Periscope, Odyssey, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, and Trovo, and DLive, and, 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 and. Let me know your thoughts in the chat, in the comment section, things like that. This will be like a standalone stream. My normal streams, we do, you know, you know, sometimes dozens, hundreds of topics, it seems. But we're going to do a one, be a one-trick pony tonight, guys. Welcome to everybody over there in the live chat, the lurkers and the listeners, and my people's people's brethren. So I think we're going to close out with this uh, with this Ben Shapiro uh, interview. So it's an hour and 15 minutes. And, you know, usually when we get into this, it's, it's going to be... We like to watch the whole thing. So got some funny stuff queued up. Let's just get into it right now. So um, so it says North Korean refugee. So this lady's gone like not viral, but she was she was featured on Fox News and stuff like that, uh, saying that it's, you know, that she thinks that even that America is even crazier than the North Korea or whatever. Well, let's, let's watch this clip right here. Now, I will say up front, Jordan Peterson, especially in the 20. The 2017-2018 time period was extremely influential on me. I became a Christian again in March of 2019, and by that time, I was starting to kind of see the the old tricks of the intellectual dark web. But I think that uh, Jordan Peterson, for me, and I, what I think is for many many people, was a big part of leading them, you know, out of degeneracy back to back to Christ. It was good to see him, you know talking back and arguing with SJWs and things like that. But in the end, I kind of think that the guy is is like kind of mentally unwell, something like that. I don't think he actually believes in God. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons that I think in the end the guy is not based because I don't think you're based if you uh, – there's no th- – ba- theism, base theism, ba- atheists. Yeah, I don't know. Bad pun or whatever. But I just don't, if you don't believe in God, if you won't admit the name God, if you won't, and the name of God is either like Yahweh, Jesus Christ, uh, Yeshua, you know, God, that is God. And he keeps talking about like the metaphors of religion and how it's useful. Like, like, it is it what like a Christian utilitarian, something like that. And in the end, I think that 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 is not a good ideology, and it's a, it's a half measure. Now he does speak out against socialism, things like that. Cool, but I think atheism is worse than socialism. Um, now, I, you know, atheism and socialism kind of do walk, work hand in hand or whatever. But uh, you know, some people, I think that like calling on the name of Christ and believing in God and following actual God is the most important thing. It really, and if it's not the most important thing for you as a Christian, then I would, would challenge you to tell, tell me what's more important, you know, but, um, but I mean, what really Jordan Peterson does make good points though. I mean, everyone I know makes quote unquote good points, including Satan. If you know what I mean, like he could quote, quote, quote scripture, you know, you can do many, many tricky, tricky things, but you know, I mean, 
But I will say one of the biggest things, Jordan Peterson was highly influential on me stopping, just stop fucking lying. Stop lying. Look what the effect that dishonesty and lying has on the psyche, on the self, and on society. You know, that you can only, like deceiving other people in the end is also deceiving yourself. And you start to be able to not really... Uh, tell the truth, tell, be able to tell the truth from a lie and stuff like that. Very influential on me in that way. But that's just called being good, you know? Uh, and also just a kind of, you know, funny literature point is he, uh, Jordan Peterson exposed me to both Dostoevsky and Solzhenitsyn and Russian literature in general, which I'm very, very, I was very into in 2018 and 2019. Uh, could not stop reading Dostoevsky. And I, you know, the Gulag Archipelago, I hadn't heard of. So, I mean, it's like, good. He can point you in the good path. But in the end, if you won't, like, say you believe in God and answer the question, is that, like, what do you mean by true? What is true? I don't know, dude. Kind of everyone knows what true means, right? And I believe Jesus Christ is the truth. Let's watch him in this North, North Korean lady. I would say you and your family likely lived through some of the harshest times in North Korea in the 90s after the Berlin Wall fell and the Russian communists stopped supporting North Korea's economy. After Soviet Union collapsed, they were stuck helping North Korea. It's cut up so much. In 1993, seeing dead bodies on the streets, it was literally... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to hate too early or whatever, but it's just like, it's cut up. She's not even answering the question. He's communists stopped supporting North Korea's economy. After Soviet Union collapsed, they were stopped helping North Korean regime. And North Korean regime is like run by central government economy. They decide how much rice you can eat that day per person based on their class. The biggest irony of North Korea is that it was founded the idea of equality, make everybody the same, the communism. And then they called it themselves as a socialist paradise. But they made it into North Koreans into three big categories of classes. And within three categories, they divided 50 subcategories of classes. It became the most unequal society that you can imagine right now in our human history. I was born in the northern part of North Korea. So during this uh, famine that was man-made famine by Kim regime, that's where most of North Koreans died in the northern part where I was born. And the people in Pyongyang, in the capital, they were still well fed. The modern example that I found was actually the Hunger Games. There is <sighs> a fiction novel is not a model. The capital, and they divide 13 different districts. They make every... Yeah, it's some that like, you know, Stupid ass Americans that consume only fiction, fiction movies, whatever. Everybody else outside the capital on verge of surviving. So people do not think about what is the meaning of life, what is freedom. All they have to think about is next meal. Can I find food to feed my child? In Pyongyang, they are really well fed and they have every intention to maintain the system and the regime. That's where I was born in, in the 1993. Seeing the dead bodies on the streets was literally. Yeah, that sounds shitty. The everyday thing. I never knew that that was like weird words. It's a country where they don't teach us about the word love. There's no word for love, no word for human rights, dignity, I mean freedom. And that's why, you know, people in North Korea, they don't know they are they are oppressed. They don't know they are slaves. Wow. And another thing I'll say about Jordan Peterson is like, I mean, his his biblical lectures were very influential on me. I mean, I thought that was great the way, I mean, like talking about it like it's a metaphor and, and what it, what a story is, even if it's a fake story, is 
okay, but what if it's a real story? I believe it's a real story. Um, yeah, and it's great. It's we have it really good in in America compared to like North Korea, from what I've heard. You know, but also I'm freedom and liberty are not virtues in and of themselves. In and of themselves, uh, I don't believe they're they're really virtues. Freedom to do what? Got some impressions. We'll do these before the interview. I think this is a pretty broke take. Okay. The conservatives have to sacrifice. So this is on May 29th. The conservatives have to sacrifice Trump and the stolen election narrative. The the liberals have to sacrifice. I don't know what D.I.E. is. um, And C.R.T. I'll look what D.I.E. is. I don't know what that is. It's weird for me to have never seen that. I'm big on acronyms. D.I.E. Republicans and conservatives just like, no, no, no. <laughs> they that to sacrifice Trump. I don't know, man. It's very binary, right? I mean, there's some things that that are uh, very, 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 that Trump is very butt on. What's, what, oh, people are not liking this. Let them fight, says Je- Jessica Green. People have had on the show before. What's D.I.E.? Anyone know? I have to sacrifice the road to peace. Uh, the road to peace requires it requires its pound of flesh from both parties. Neither of those things are going to happen yet, though, dude. And I'm sick of these Canadians, man. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, what's with all the maple soyup, you know, coming down the border? Molyneux, Crowder, Jordan Peterson. Gavin McInnes, leave your filthy maple syrup up, nor- up north, man. It's it's not just from countries, uh, the, like the obvious countries that people talk about, you know, like, uh, you know, Mexico or, you know, the, you know, the Africa, even though that's not a country, you guys know what I mean, or, or uh, Russia or whatever, but it's just like, get, we are not, America should not be, no nation should be the globe's, uh, forgive me for using that, that term, uh, it should not be the world's ideological breeding ground. It should not be the, the philosophical Petri dish of the world. This is bullshit. Yeah, I don't... Diver, oh, you're right. Thank you, Slapford. It says... So Slapford in the chat says, diversity, inclusion, and E is equity. Yes, equity. Thank you. That's nice. Yeah, I mean, Jordan Peterson, and, and I think that Jordan, like my gripe with Peterson is all is may, is also a gripe about the entire thing you would call the intellectual dark web. You know, I think I don't think a, uh, a single person in the intellectual dark web is like really worth worth listening to that much. So this 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 uh, what's it called? Barry Weiss, Barry Weiss article from years ago. It had like a graphic. It's the Weinstein's, Ben Shapiro, Douglas Murray, Majid Nawaz, Jordan Peterson. I don't think any of these are good anymore. I can I can like prove you with with their talking points. Sam Harris, that none of these people are are really good. They're not good. The right way to go is is what they would call like far right or just what I call just like Christian right wing. None of these people are Christians. Say Candace Owens. <laughs> That's why, like, you have to agree on terms of debate before you get into. They have a they have a website, right? 
how to join the intellectual dark web. I'm just scrolling Google right now. Loosely defined informal group of commentators. I mean, a lot of these people are straight up snakes. I mean, in a weird way, uh, Jordan Peterson might be the best of the bunch. Joe Rogan, snake. Ben Shapiro, total snake, dude. uh, Ben Shapiro might be the worst of all of them. Steven, yeah, because it's, it's an atheistic intellectual movement. All of them are, uh, are, are atheists or very, very close. I mean, you can tell if someone's an atheist by like the way they talk, not just their, not, I don't mean their speech patterns, but the, their arguments and the points they actually make hundred Sergeant Peterson, in the chat says they went for the money over what is right. 100%. But I can't think of any of these people that say they're actually Christians Maybe Christina Hoff Summers. I mean, a lot of these people drew, like drew, uh, dried up and blew away, yo. They're all like anti-socialism, which I certainly am. But it's it's this thing that we can solve the world with intellectual, with philosophical, secular, and intellectual values. And now I I think you know theology is a is under the realm of uh philosophy i mean philosophy is just thought you know intellectual dark web and also that name is gay okay um jordan peterson responds to real communism has never been tried and murders it with fire ho 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 well that wasn't real marxism well that wasn't real marxism yeah, I mean, his point about this is is true too, but it's it's true about any I've never seen this clip before, but I it's I've heard this point before where when you're saying it's not real marxism, it's not your real communism or even if like you know, you're saying it's not real christianity or whatever, like it does imply that you could do it better at some point. I do agree. That's the point he always makes. Well, that wasn't real marxism. What it really means and I've thought about this for a long time, it's the most arrogant possible statement anyone could ever make. It means if I would have been in Stalin's position, I would have ushered in the damn utopia instead of, instead of the genocidal massacres because I understand the doctrine of marxism and everything about me is good. It's like, well, think again, sunshine. You don't understand it. You don't. Un- I mean, it's a good point. It's a real point. Um, and uh, I've seen Jordan Peterson live. I went to go see Jordan Peterson in 2018. It was really good. Understand it. And you're not that good. And if the power was in your hands, assuming you had the competence, which you don't, you wouldn't have done any better. And even if you had. Yeah, I mean, this is one, uh, one of the things where I'm, you know, the people that ran shit, no matter the ideology, good or bad, they were on to something because they were there. You don't just, like, become Stalin or, like, this is also why I respect uh, the, and I don't, like, I'm not a fan. <laughs> I know there's new people listening. I'm no fan of Stalin. You know, I'm, I'm definitely anti, completely anti-communist. But, like, the people that made big moves in the big systems at the time first. These people were very smart, you know, like that's why one of the reasons that I really respect like apostolic succession and the early church fathers in Christianity is because these people either knew Jesus Christ or were taught by the people that knew Jesus Christ. And then there is such a thing as like the history of the church and we're far from it. And, you know, this is the reason that's like there's something to this, like the people that did it, the people that were the big players. I don't know if it means they're smarter, but they were there and we are not. 
you know, no, we're be... in a YouTube chat and I'm speaking into a camera, you know. Someone else waiting right behind you to shoot you the first time you actually tried to do anything good. And that's what happened to all the old guard who ran the damn revolution. Stalin rounded them all up and shot them, along with their families and millions of other people. So even if you do happen to be that avatar of moral purity that you claim implicitly, the probability that you'd get to act out your goodness in relationship to those possessed by your ideology is zero. Brian in the chat asks if I've read Christopher Hitchens. I've read God is Not Great, and I've seen like dozens of talks on uh, Christopher Hitchens. Why do you ask? Why have you, uh, have you not read Christopher? What's your point? I, I have read him. I've read his main book, but I haven't read. I'm not, I, I've watched a lot of his talks before he died. Interesting stuff. James Lindsay, also part of the intellectual dark web. He, I mean, they're all, they like oppose critical race theory, which I do as well. So I'm tr- I'm being nuanced about it. I'm, I'm saying like, if we, if I were to rank a bunch of the current minds right now or whatever, I mean, Jordan Peterson would not be in the bottom 50, but I'm saying that doesn't matter. The ranking system does not matter as much as whether they do like the most important stuff. And my, well, the case I'm making is the most important thing or, you know, if there's a top 10, it's, a, you know, actually believing something and sticking to it or admitting it when you don't. Just honesty is very, very important. Very, very important. And he won't answer that question. I've seen him in many, Peterson, in, in many interviews, just not answer that question. What do you, what does it mean by truth? I'm a Christian in some way. Uh, so Peterson and... James Lindsay started a resign for diversity campaign urging white Wokies to be the quit in equity. Yeah, I mean, a bunch of people in the chat have said that JP is a great stepping stone. But my point is that is not the point that many in the media are, are saying. Look, a stepping stone, no person I would call like based is a stepping stone based means you know based in the re- in reality based in god's reality like and it started as like a right wing some say like white supremacist white white nationalist term but not true i mean based means like grounded and based in the reality of god's world and Jordan Peterson's not based and neither is Ben Shapiro like everything's i mean you taking your first shit in your diaper is a stepping stone you know what i mean like on it, he's not honest. I don't find Jordan Peterson to be honest. So I just like this thing that this this stepping stone. He's a like a, he's a net. If he's a net good, I used to ask this question all the time. I'm not like talking to anyone in the chat at this point, but I used to ask the question. Well, or make the point that he's like a net good for the world. I don't know, man. I, I I'm not saying he isn't. I'm saying that's not the right questions. These people see Christopher Hitchens as a great mind. Yeah, I mean, I don't think any atheists are are uh, any like atheists that stuck with atheism and, wa- and won't and and won't change their mind as a great mind. I don't think you know how to think really if you are just an atheist and you're like, it's. I mean, I'm. I was an atheist like five years ago, six years ago, right? I mean, if you're ready to champion atheism and do talks and make money off the idea of atheism. I mean, shit, it's better to make money off of God than make money off of atheism. You know, it's better to, you know, if you're going to sell books, if you're going to sell, you know, concert tickets or the theater tickets, you know, like shill for God, shilling for God is better than shilling for it for the, for the devil, you know, 
be the quit in equity, it says right here. Once upon a time, a moderate conservative named Noah opined that we, I like that word, uh, opined. We need a campaign to tell the woke to put their money where their mouth is. We need a resign for diversity campaign. I agree with that, though. White people who believe their profession needs more diversity should resign and give up their positions to members of underrepresented groups. I don't know. I'm kind of just messing around or whatever. I don't think that's, I mean, cool. They should quit. Sure. I think academia itself should quit. Yeah, that Fractal Dust in the chat says it really well. Stepping st- stones are what they need to be at the time. Stepping stones should not be institutionalized. So that's why I'm punching from the right. You know, that's why that's why I'm atta- I attack these people, fr- the people on the right from the right so much because they've now normalized this intellectual dark dark web people as the vanguards of of you know right wing intellectual thought. There's no right wing without God. The right wing is God, king, and country. And now kings aren't really a thing anymore. So it's like God, family, country, traditionalism. You know, traditionalism, family, uh, God, and the nation. You know, the actual nation. And I, I'm not opposed to a monarchy either. I'm, I'm opposed to anything bad, to badness. And there can be good and bad out of every form of government. Slap says... Hitchens was was just an honest, charismatic Peterson. Yeah, I mean, he was more militant atheist, you know what I mean? So I don't know about that. Uh, I don't know about that because Peterson at least acknowledges the pragmatic value of God, of uh, of believing in, in, in something. Jordan Peterson went full lobster in this Tucker interview. What's the, What was the lobster? Why, why did that start in the first place? I don't know why that started. I was a part of that. That I was a big Peterson fan at the time. Oh, it was the hierarchy amongst lobsters. He was big on talking about hierarchy. That was a big thing about my learning, too. When I started to realize there was hierarchy in everything, I went away from the left so fast. I mean, the equality is so dumb. It's so impossible. That's just dumb. Full lobster. Oh, my goodness. You know, you, 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 you make know, your decisions. You know, you make your decisions. You know, you, you, you make your decisions in life. And I decided when I was very young, I'm in my mid-20s, that I was going to say what I believed and see what happened. I talked to you earlier in the talk about adventure, you know, about... What's he, like, reading, man? You know, you, you, you make your decisions in life. And I decided when I was very young, I'm in my mid-20s, that I was going to say what I believed and see what happened. I talked to you earlier in the talk about adventure, you know, about the adventure of truth. And I don't think, think I'm happy about what has happened. And I certainly have dragged my family through their fair share of, well, both hell and and also incomprehensible opportunities reading something i mean I get, it looks for a second like he's thinking or but he's like looking down intently it's very weird he's got a lobster tanks his slap it's ex- expanded our lives in both directions to a tremendous degree that's really but weird it's certainly been an adventure it's not been dull and i don't believe that it I don't believe that it was a mistake. Always about to cry, too. I mean, I don't think he actually is, but he cries a lot, and it seems like he's always about to cry. Whatever happens as a consequence of telling the truth is the best thing that can happen. It doesn't really matter how it looks to you at the moment, or maybe even across the years. If truth is the best thing, okay, are you, do you believe that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh? Because you have to, it's a... It's a if it, I ever had Peterson on, I'd be like, listen, we might be on this one 
we might be on this one question for half an hour, but it's like, do you believe that or no? It's a very easy question. I mean, it's not in terms of a secular person or a person that doesn't believe that it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it is a big deal, but you can't advance past a yes or no question at a certain point. I know there's reframing. Some of that is dishonest, you know, but and I have the same question, like Unitarians, at least they admit that Jesus is not God. If you, I think if, if you aren't Trinitarian, if you don't believe Jesus was God, like the Bible and the tradition say, then you are not a Christian and that's all right. But like, once you step into the realm of like debate and interviewing, my next question is why? And how can you square? Like if you, he doesn't ever say he's a Christian, but. It's, you know, where are you at with your ideology? It's, a, it's an article of faith in some sense. Do you believe that reality is better constituted as a consequence of truth or falsity? If you believe that reality is best constituted as a consequence of truth, then you have a responsibility. And I just think, like I said earlier, he's mentally unwell. He's ticky. He has a, like a, his, his relationship with his daughter and that whole thing's a mess. He lied on Joe Rogan. He's like said he didn't sleep for 24 days. We got to play that. Uh, <laughs> do you guys do you guys know who who did that uh, that cartoon? <laughs> Shit, I should. I that's the one thing I forgot to queue up for this stream. Is that that Jordan P? I can find it on. <laughs> Ability to speak the truth, and you can't assess the consequences and say, well, that was a mistake because part of the decision that reality is best constituted as a consequence of the truth is the decision that no matter what happens is the best if it's a consequence of telling the truth. And so that's what I conclude. It's like, this is what happened because I said what I had to say as clearly as I could say it. And that's as good as it could be. Now, whether or not that's good, well, it's good compared to all possible alternatives, all possible realistic alternatives. That's an article of faith, as far as I'm concerned. You know, our culture is predicated on the idea that truth in speech is of divine significance. It's the fundamental presupposition of our culture. Well, if you believe that, then you act it out. And you take the consequences. You're going to take the consequences one way or another, you know. So... You want the truth on your side? That was, dude. What is this guy saying? What is this guy saying here? Um, yeah, it's it's Amen Animations. No, I know the the um, I know the the one you're talking about. Life to the Max is not Freedom Scoot. It's not F- Freedom Tunes. Oh yeah, this one is so good. Let's watch it now. I mean, you know, let's get through some of the stuff I prepped first. But uh Yeah, what was this guy saying? Jordan I mean uh, and Tucker is just like, "Huh? Like what that look?" J- JP says he's trying to get Thomas Soul on his podcast to red pill the internet and I need this to happen. I mean, dude, Thomas Soul is so much more based and red pilled than Jordan Peterson. Thomas Sowell is a real ass nigga, dude. <laughs> like this guy is so real, dude. <laughs> I love Thomas Sowell. The love of lobsters. I need this to become a reality. 
Trying. You're trying, huh? Confused Tucker face says life to the max. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's the whole thing how Jordan Peterson is a, uh, is a, is the, he's the evil, the evil skull. They made him like a lot, uh, like a, a villain. <laughs> Jordan Peterson just dared uh, Justin Trudeau to try and censor him. Just try and regulate my YouTube channel and see what happens, Trudeau. Yeah. And he's playing the game, man. We're all playing the game a little bit, right? All right, so let's get some laughs and let's watch these interviews. Made by Jim Bob is a good one. It's like some people don't realize that they're moving the same speed as their car. But the thing is, you have a windshield. <laughs> it's protective, yes. But at the same time, it gives you a false sense of what is real. I'm not saying it's unnecessary. No. <laughs> don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying the windshield is like a perfect symbol for our own ideological views, which act as a lens between our minds and our reality, you know? And it's like we're not going to get rid of it by any means, nor am I suggesting that we should. It's like we all start out with pretty clear windshields, you know? It's like clean your windshield, bucko. Or don't. But just don't blame anyone else when you can't see where you're going, you know? Bro, that is so good. Let's watch that. I mean, it's also, that is the type of shit that Jordan Peterson is talking. <laughs> and I've, yo, dude, I've read both his books. I got them both downstairs. I'm trying to sell them. <laughs> I think I get some money for them or something like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've read 12 Rules for Life. That was a pretty easy read. Agree with a lot of it. It's like, you know, secular self-help, right? But Maps maps of Meaning is a mess. <laughs> Dude, that book is a mess. And I've read a lot of the stuff that – I read the stuff that he talks about in Maps, for, maps of Meaning before Maps of Meaning. Uh, I've read Young, Nietzsche, you know, a lot of the, the – you know, what is it? Um, Joseph Campbell. Those are, the, those are the three main ones that he, he talks about, like the hero's journey, nihilism, and uh, – Man's search for meaning, or is that not young? Anyway, but a lot of this, I read a lot of that stuff before I read read Maps of Meaning. Maps Maps of Meaning is a mess, dude. Shit is all over the place. You should, uh, um, you should read what's Vox Day's book on Jordan Peterson. I don't know. That's a pretty savage takedown. It's like some people don't realize that they're moving the same speed as their car, but the thing is, you have a windshield. It's protective, yes, but at the same time, it gives you a false sense of what is real. I'm not saying it's unnecessary. No, don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying the windshield is like a perfect symbol for our own ideological views, which act as a lens between our minds and our reality, you know? And it's like, we're not going to get rid of it by any means, <laughs> nor am I suggesting that we should. It's like, we all start out with pretty clear windshields, you know? It's like, clean your windshield, bucko, or don't. But just don't blame anyone else when you can't see where you're going, you know? Yeah, that's that's a fantastic, because it's the speech pattern as well as the actual message. So here's another impression. I don't know who this guy is, but... Um, so someone says, this is the best impression I've ever heard someone do of Jordan Peterson. 
Well, and the first thing that I would say is that's a particularly difficult problem. Because wow. Wow. Way better. Um, Stranded says 12 Rules for Life is Trash, horribly, horribly written book. Yeah, I mean, I, I read it in like 2018. But I'm saying that it wasn't a, it wasn't a mess. It maybe was trash, but it wasn't a mess like Maps of Meaning. I mean, massive, Maps of Meaning was like a thousand-page book where it just goes all over the place. And you don't even know what really the point of what he's doing is there. I mean, at least the the uh, 12 Rules for Life, it like says what it's trying to do in the title. And then every chapter is is like a, one of the rules that I the, like, he's like, he stated something and he did it, even if it was like bad or whatever, but maps of meaning was, I mean, I don't even know. It's like the, the metaphorical nature, nature of in stories across worldviews. And it's just like, I like you can't even like, you could barely follow it. Yo. Uh Oh, are we banned on Twitch? Is that what you're saying? We'll see. Well, and the first thing that I would say is that's a particularly difficult problem because it totally depends on how you define a donut. You know, it's it's like it's like if you're really high in trade openness or or if you have a proclivity for divergent thinking, then, well, it could be a multitude of different answers. So, you know, um, what I would recommend is reading the Gulag Archipelago for starters and then uh, try my future authoring program. It'll sort you out really I quick. I did that. I did the future, the future authoring program. Yeah, I was into this stuff, yo. I was into this stuff. Yeah, it's just restream. I'm going to start restart restart restream real fast. Let's see if it works. Meow. Meow. No, we're still up. Okay. Um all right, let's catch a laugh and then we'll uh we'll go into the actual meat and bones of the of the whole thing. <laughs> this is so, so I'm guessing from what you're, uh, you're saying earlier, life to the max, you haven't seen this one. Most people have seen this in, in the chat, but uh, this is, fantastic. I'm afraid your father will have to remain in his coma for several more months. No, man. No, I don't want this one. I want that. We want to watch both of them. This is the second one. This guy is awesome, man. So this one I'm looking for is uh, Amon Animations. But it's not... It's not... Because this is the second one. Is it? Is it right? No, no, no. I'm doing it right. I'm doing it right. It's just I forget that, it's, that it starts off this way. This one's crazy, dude. I'm afraid your father will have to remain in his coma for several more months. We'll be feeding him pure meat through a tube, just like you asked. In the meantime, let's go party all over Europe. When people think of happiness or pursuing happiness, the first thing they think of is, well, it's a pretty selfish desire. I want to be happy for me. I mean, after all, who wants to be unhappy? Prager's the same one, man. Fake Christian, dude. I'm here to tell you that, in fact, happiness is far, far, far more than a selfish desire it's actually a moral obligation whether or not you're happy and certainly whether or not you act happy is a very very altruistic endeavor 
Yes, indeed, we have a moral obligation. Happy people make the world better. Unhappy people tend to make the world worse. There's a scene in Pinocchio where Geppetto wishes on a star, right? And what it means is he lifts up his eyes beyond the horizon to something transcendent. And so he lifts his eyes up above his daily concerns and he says, what I want, what, what I want more than anything else is that my creation will become a genuine individual Right? It's, it's a heroic gesture because it's so unlikely. And that catalyzes the puppet's transformation. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, people in the chat are saying Prager's a Jew. He's told, totally a Jew. He's raised Orthodox. He's, now he's just a... He maintained, after he left graduate school, he left modern Orthodoxy. It's a oxymoron right there. Modern Orthodoxy. Maintained many traditional Jewish practices. He remained religious. Yeah, okay. He's a, he's a Judeo-Christian or whatever. ...into a real being and we start as puppets and so the trick is to get rid of the goddamn strings i want to be like you mr peterson please tell me how to live i want to get into this because this is a i think this is a fascinating thing with you personally that your diet um you're on this carnivore diet yes. now. This is what I mean. No, no, I wasn't saying he calls himself a Christian. I'm not. She's just one of these people. There's Judeo Christians that uh, um, there's Judeo Christians that are Jews and Christians. They're they're proponents of like that. There's such a thing as Judeo Christianity, and that like America is fa- is found is founded on it. So to me, like Shapiro's a Judeo Christian. Like Jesse Kelly, Judeo Christian, where they're like the Jerusalem, Greece, Europe pipeline. And it's like in a certain historical respect, that is true. But that's not like after Christ, after like the Jews killed Christ, (laughs) the Judeo Christian thing, especially like at the the sacking of the, the, the burning of the temple and the, you know, you know, modern Judaism being created, like, you know, 50, 60 years after Christ died, it, you know, that was the end of Judeo. Like, Christ was the end of Judeo Christianity. At that point, Christianity just started. So I think that's a pretty bankrupt, you know, worldview. So that's that's one of the things that I that I think about Prager. He, he's not a Christian. He never said he's a Christian. I was just wrong about that. Yeah. Jude- Mina says Judeo Christian is an oxymoron. I agree. You reject Christ or you don't. What's fascinating to me is I haven't heard any negative stories about people doing this. Well, um, I have a negative story. Okay. Okay. When we... <laughs> and, dude, one of the funniest things is how they keep making... They keep changing uh, Joe Rogan's face to be more... Like, Joe Rogan is a different face The every time he's shown. Like, we're, we'll play it from the 145 mark one more time. And I'm sorry for the podcast, people. You guys only get to listen to us here. You know, so this segment, you're not going to get much out of. But I invite you to subscribe to my YouTube channel. They keep changing Rogan's face to be more like a gorilla every time they, they pan to it. I think this is a fascinating thing with you personally. That your diet. <laughs> um, you're on this carnivore diet. <laughs> yo, this is- yo, and I never noticed this either, that Rogan has no pants on. <laughs> I never noticed that, dude. This animator is brilliant. And there's uh, a, a, a uh, what is that? Not not Buddhist. Uh, 
yeah, Hindu god in the corner. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know which one. The, it's, it's the elephant with like the five hands or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Slap says he has become monkey. This carnivore diet yes. now. This is what, I mean, what's fascinating to me is I haven't heard any negative stories about people doing this. Well, um, I have a negative story. Okay. Okay. When we restricted our diet and then ate something we weren't supposed to, the reaction was absolutely catastrophic. What did you so, do? What did you switch to? Um, well, the worst response, we had some apple cider that had sulfites in it, and that was really not good. Like, I was done for a month. You were done for a month? Oh, yeah, I took him for a month. It was awful. I took him for You were done for a month? Yeah, and then they, they popped. And Joe Rogan is, like, straight up, yeah, has become monkey right here. I love the details, man. Oh, yeah, I took him for a month. It was awful. Apple cider? Like, what, what was it sulfites doing? Sulfites in it. What was it doing to you? Oh, it, it, it produced an overwhelming sense of impending doom. One of the greatest animations of all time. We got to just do a day on the show where we just go through all the different animations from this person. Because the, the, the Tim Pool's hat one is amazing. Yeah, and then it's it's literally a nightmare. It's uh, Kenneth Kovla. Ha, 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 ha. You know, ben Shapiro uh, reciting WAP. Charlie Kirk's small ass face. It's literally the intellectual dark web is like a nightmare. Not that Kenneth Copeland is really in the. He's like pre-intellectual dark web. He was like the grifter before the grifters. Fucking cider. Oh, I didn't sleep that that month. I didn't sleep for twenty-five days. That's a lie, man. See, that's a fucking lie. I mean, you can. I even know people. I, there's been weeks where I slept like two hours a day. 90 minutes a day for a week. You know, and I was at the at the eighth day, I might have slept for 25 hours. You know, it's that's real, but come on, Jordan. Come on. Not sleep for 25 days. Come come on, dude. You know, that would be like I would go into our interview if I had him on the show with two questions. Who is Jesus Christ? And did you real? And I would be like, I would be grilling him about the de- the biological details of those twenty five days. Come on, bro, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, but this is what like dishonest people kind of do. 
I didn't sleep what? at all. Just say you didn't sleep well. Randy just said in the chat, yes. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Not and this good. is from so, fucking Cider. From Cider. That's what we thought, yeah. I mean, look, again, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. Again, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. You need to wake up, Dr. Peterson, my master. Please wake up for us. We are so lost without you. Twelve moons. What is natural must be right into meat and worship might. Stand up straight, listen carefully, accept your place within the hierarchy. Pinocchio. And then if you tell the truth, that pulls you together and strengthens you. Twelve moons. Twelve moons. Twelve moons. <laughs> Just You're dead, state. Pinocchio. Fantastic animation. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. So disturbing. 12 days on Adderall. Sees people talking about like Islamo Christian or whatever. It's kind of the same thing that I'm saying about Jordan Peterson. It's like the truth is more important than a step. Like, okay, so it, you know, Islam is better quote than, than Judaism. I don't care. Christian is Christian. There's no such thing as Islamo Christianity, Judaism and, 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 Judaism and Islam have the most important things in common. They deny Christ. Judeo Judeo Islam is a is a more of a thing than Islamo Christianity or Judeo Christianity. They both deny the most important thing in the world. So what if they're more based on like cultural things? And Orthodox Judaism people that are actual Jews are based on some stuff. You know, but I'm just like this, this, it's another like false dichotomy or just, you know, so, so it's like the ranking system is not what truth is. That's my, that's what, why the intellectual dark web and the Judeo versus Islam, Islamo Christianity thing is like, it's very much a lie because there's no, what's in, what's important about the truth is the truth, not the stepping stone to the truth, not whatever, like, but, but, but like, who cares? I mean, both of them deny Christ. Islam is false. I mean, at, at a certain point, okay, here's another thing that's interesting. From a historical context, historically, Judaism is more true than Islam in that Judaism was true prior to Christ. 
Islam was never true. That's another thing that's interesting. Islam was never true ever. Um, but Judaism, like, or I guess, the, I don't know. Like, I don't. Also, the word Judaism is a little bit weird. But I'm talking about like the Torah among the Hebrews was true at one point, ever all time prior to Christ. So it's like this Islam thing is weird, man. This thing where people are like Islam is is okay. It's kind of not, man. So what if they're based? I mean, like the the Babylonians were based on some shit. Like the Aztecs were based on some shit. It's just another false culture. I mean, like another false false religion, you know? Yeah, I mean, th- to me it's like the word. That yeah, so so I, that's why I kind of caught myself reflections. Reflection says Judaism is a newish thing, 800 years old. I mean, I, I think it's like 1900 years old. I mean, it's like it was founded like after the the I don't know the actual um, his like like numerical history of it. But I think it was founded in like the year 990, you know, but I'm just saying that, you know, the Hebrew religion, you know, the religion of the Israelites was true before Christ. That's all I'm saying. It foretold of the Christ and the hit Pharisees hit it. Yes. Yeah. So that's my point. <laughs> I got to take a break real fast. Why I eat a meat only diet. <laughs> Amen. And animations is great. Yeah. Definitely. After the second uh, temple was demolished. Yeah. I believe it's like in the year ni- 95 or something like that. I mean, the destruction of the temple was 70 was 76 AD. And then, uh, so I, I think, but I do believe it was before the year 100. So, um, okay. So yeah, I'm going to take a quick break. Then we're going to go through these. See, here's the other thing. So this on Odyssey, that's good. All right. So, so there, the two ones that we're going to go through are going to be Jordan Peterson talking. There's with, a group of people who by your own. Ad- Ooh, Ben Shapiro might strike me, dude. I don't know. 4chan humor and trolling Michael Malice how long is it two hours the one I really wanted to go through was Ben Ben Shapiro one so I think what we're going to do is this everyone over on YouTube ah, I don't know I might just even risk it make sure you subscribe to my third channel I mean I'm, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it because uh, because uh I'm coming back on my main channel in a couple months, in, in like three weeks. Any, I can even do it in a week if I need to. But make sure everyone subscribe to my third channel. Because if this strikes me, I mean, I'm not going to stop it every 45 seconds for an hour and 15 minutes. So I guess we'll know if Ben Shapiro strikes people. I don't think he does for playing these long interviews. I'm not sure. Ch- uh, so I don't know. I'm going to play another animation uh, while I go uh, go to the bathroom, take a drink, and then uh... <laughs> the fate of Donald. Let's play the, the the Tim Pool one. That's a terrifying one. That's not long enough. Charlie Kirk descends into madness. Yes, let's do this one. I'll be back in two minutes. And it says on YouTube that I'll get a warning when I'm playing copyrighted content, and they're gonna let me know. So I don't know how it works. Um, Peterson cucked to masks. 
What's up, Chad Asana? No, I did not see that. Where was that on his Twitter? That's what I've been saying. Dude is a cuck. Interesting. I never, I did not see that. Yeah. Well, you know, Chad Asana is our, he's our token Canadian. He's the only one that will allow, you know. He's like really active now. I mean, we could have just gone through his whole, whole Twitter. He's embedding videos all the time. He cucked to masks. It's Canada Day. That's right. Anyway, I'll be right back. Let's play this animation and we'll see. I mean, I hope I don't get a strike, but it's kind of okay at this point. I kind of want to see who will strike you. I can look it up. I'll be back in a second. Let's play this Charlie Kirk animation. And for those of you that say, well, it really doesn't impact me. I don't care if Trump goes to prison. Well, first of all, you absolutely should care. Because if we lose, they're going to come after the churches. They're going to come after the organizations. They're going to come after the people. They're going to come after the social media accounts. They're going to come after the bank accounts. They're going to come after every single person that played any form and role into trying to defend President Trump. Social media banning, following in the streets, targeting in every form and fashion. If we lose, if the president loses, they will come for us all. They will come for your children. They will come for your schools. They will will come come in every every fashion. And they won't stop. They are going to do whatever it takes to try to personally and intergenerationally destroy Donald Trump. That's how much they hate him. They hate him not because of his tweets, not because of his style. They hate him because all of their schemes have been put in jeopardy. They're going to come with bloodthirsty revenge. President Trump always says, quote, If you love birds, you'd never want to walk under a window because it's a very sad, sad sight. We are intrinsically tied to the president. He's with us. He's for us. I've called him the bodyguard of Western civilization. And boy, is he taking the body blows for us right now. But if they come for him, they're coming for us, and they're also coming for me. This is where it's headed. Donald Trump loses, you can expect every level of power to try to obliterate us for good. This is a very real thing. We lose in November, it's going to be better. That if they get power back, they're going to lock him up, and they're going to continue until they have absolute pathological power over our country. Please email us your thoughts. As always, freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. Make sure you check out my interview with Candace Owens, author of Blackout, phenomenal episode. Please consider supporting us at charliekirk.com slash support, charliekirk.com slash support. Please consider supporting us at Turning Point USA. Get involved with Turning Point USA in the culture war, tpusa.com, tpusa.com. And if you guys want to sign copy of the Magna Doctrine, type in Charlie Kirk to your podcast provider. Hit subscribe. Give us a five-star review. Screenshot it. Email us at freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. God bless you. Talk to you soon. Okay. Just in time. Just in time. Okay. America's top podcast. No, 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 stop. Okay. (laughs) Is that Charlie Kirk who made his face too proportionate? Yes. Yeah. Let's just try it. Why not? I mean, I'll I'll stop it every two or three minutes. I'm going to do that anyway to make, make points and things like that. Um. So here's the one. This is one of the main reasons that I even even doing this stream. The the link that it, it this uh, was under was this is the most based conversation based thing you watch this week. 
There's just this, the left right shit. It's so dumb, dude. It's Judeo boomerism, dude. I could have just read all this, but whatever. Let's watch a little bit of it. And if it gets boring or whatever, we'll, we'll read the bullet points from the other uh, from the other uh, article. There's a group of people who, by your own admission, are disaffected and angry and alienated. I'm just like, this guy seems unwell to me, man. And and no one is worse in this intellectual dork web than Ben Shapiro. And that's also calling them dorks doesn't even do it justice. I like dorks, man. But Ben Shapiro is just a snake. He's a freaking serpent, bro. And young. And I'm helping them. And why is that exactly a problem? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing with well, them? Just out of curiosity. What, calming down. What do you think? If you had your druthers, would I ignore them? It's hosted by Ben. Turning to the show today is my very good friend, our very first guest, man who premiered the hey, bonus questions at the end with Jordan. The only way to get access to that part of the conversation is to become a member. Go into marriage or whether now it is Tanahasi Coates writing comics that portray you as red. Skull. Yeah, I want to get this intro because also it's like, I don't know, dude, I feel like I am about to get struck because if there's any, uh, you know, you know, he just wants to, I feel like this guy would strike down a goy, you know, <laughs> I'm just kind of kidding, but I just feel like if Ben Shapiro, if anyone would strike, you'd be Ben Shapiro, but I want to see what he, he, he's about to list what like the biggest problems in society are, you know, um, he already said, I, we kind of heard him say critical race theory. Um, let's just listen. I mean, it's like the so- socialism race without mentioning the word white i mean it's very very tricky the full conversations with every one of our awesome guests jordan peterson thanks so much for joining the show hi ben it's really good to see you and your life up there and jordan's thoughts on love sex romance and relationships in connection to your humanity oh i used to listen to that show i used to be a ben shapiro fan dude like three and a half years ago, big, big fan, man. I listen to all of his interviews. Holy crap. Hey, hey, and welcome. This is the Ben Shapiro hey, Show hey. Sunday special. This show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Don't like big tech and the government spying on you. Visit ExpressVPN.com slash Ben. Just a reminder, we'll be doing some bonus questions at the end with Jordan. The only way to get oh, access to that sorry. part of the conversation is to become a member. Go over to DailyWire.com, become a member. You'll have access to all of the full conversations with every one of our awesome guests. Jordan Peterson, thanks so much for joining the show. I thought that's uh, sorry, dude. I'm sorry for the people listening on on the podcast. Dude. I, th- I was trying to make this a a clean ship, but here I am. Hi, Ben. It's really good to see you. Thanks for the it invitation. It is fantastic to see you. Thank you. It is, and and congratulations on the brand new book. The book, of course, is it Beyond Order: Twelve More Rules for Life. It is moving more and more. That's what the cow was saying, dude. That's the, what the cow was saying in the animation, dude. Twelve more rules. Twelve more rules. Twelve more rules. Thing. Uh, and it is fulfilling. It is it is a it is a wonderful wonderful piece of work, and I think it's going to be inspirational to a lot of folks. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate that a lot. Thanks, Ben. So let's talk about before we get to the actual content of the books. I want to talk about some of the rules that are in there. Which again, I think there's a lot there that people are going to find inspirational and thought provoking. Uh, let's talk about another interesting point. You know how we were talking about earlier about Jordan Peterson saying that like no, you wouldn't have if you would have been in Stalin's shoes, you would have done as exactly like he did. I want to ask Jordan Peterson if you would have been a Pharisee, if you would have been a member of the Sanhedrin at the time of Christ, do you think you would have convicted him? 
It's a great question for any it, – a, a great question for any uh, you know, purported philosophical or intellectual heavyweight or any you know, modern Jew like, or like religious Jew that, like, that explicitly rejects Christ. If you would have been in the Sanhedrin at the time, what would you have done? Because it's kind of flipping Jordan Peterson's argument on on itself or on like to his to himself, you know, the media's treatment of you. So the media's treatment of you for a long time, really, since you sort of arose to international prominence, has been this this mode of attack, whether it is the BBC suggesting that you're a vicious sexist or the New York Times suggesting that you want to force women into marriage or whether now it is Ta-Nehisi Coates writing comics that portray you as Red Skull, Captain America's rival, the the. Nazi. He's a, he's a Nazi character. Uh, what, magic, what do you make of magic these attacks? supervillain Nazi? Because Nazi, when Nazi isn't enough, when comparing you to Hitler isn't enough, <laughs> there's always Red Skull. I think it's kind of hit a limit because the next step is Satan. Right. I mean, that's where you go after Red Skull. And uh, uh, yes, I know him well. <laughs> uh, what do I make of it? But, uh, oh, thank you for your defense, by the way. Much. This is not a man, a man that's well, man. I, yeah, I guess it's going to be interesting to I'll, I'll, when I listen back to this as a podcast. But a lot of the stuff is visual. This is not a man that's well. You know, like Ben Shapiro is more well than Jordan Peterson. I'm, I'm maybe that Jordan Peterson would admit that. But I'm just saying this can't be the vanguard. This can't be th- their best, you know, or they say like, oh, Jordan Peterson's the most base thing you'll see this week. You know, like this is not base, dude, like calling out the sodomites for real is based. Neither of these guys call out the sodomites. Uh, sure. He's bringing up the devil. better. Like, yeah, he bought he bought my gold last month. You know, it's like, I know, I know Lucifer well. <laughs> so I'm just saying what this is from a month ago. Maybe I just got triggered by, like, you know, the most based thing. Like, yo, center right and center left need to stop using the word base, dude. These people don't even know what that is. You, like, the center right and the center left can't even utter the names of the people that are based. The, the, the far left utters their names in scorn and, and hates them and wants to cancel them. At least they'll say their names. The people on the right like them a lot but the center right and the center left they won't even utter their names bro none of these not neither of these guys are based appreciate it oh yeah I should, of course I, I, mean- I should say look there have been people in the media who've been supportive of me from the beginning i would say in canada for example there's four or five people who i think are among canada's top journalists who have been firm defenders of me right from the beginning and so it isn't Every single person in the mainstream media, although there's a disproportionate number of people in the mainstream media who go after me compared, I think, to my popularity versus unpopularity in the general public. And I've I've thought about it a lot. I'm not exactly sure what to make of it. Um, I certainly wasn't sure what to make of the last Red Skull episode. It was absolutely shocking to me. It, It took me about 12 hours to recover because I couldn't believe it was actually real. And I didn't sleep for those 12 hours. To begin with, it was so surreal. I, I, I found out about it on Twitter. Somebody just sent me the cartoon. And the first thing I thought was that it was a Photoshop uh, mock-up, you know, just another meme. And then I looked into it a bit. And then I was really confused that this had occurred. It just seemed, especially when I found out who the author was, you know. Uh, that, so that was a double shock. 
And I mean, I would be more like into it or entertained if, uh, of course, yeah, Chad Asana just says both of these guys are media talking head characters, of course. And so is Ta-Nehisi Coates, man. This this center, and I know that the right-left paradigm is is fake and gay at a certain point, but in terms of the talking heads, I mean, I'm a talking head. And so, and that doesn't mean I'm fake. I'm just saying that I would be classified if, if some, if you polled 10,000 people that are into this culture war thing and I showed up and they mentioned my name, I would be put on the far right. You know, it's, it's like decent as a classification system and stuff like that. The entire, what you would call like center or the Overton window, I'm outside the Overton window. There's people on the right and the left that are that are just outside the realm of allowable discussion, right? But everyone inside of it is just a shill, dude. Ta-Nehisi Coates, like, I would be so, I would be happy, happier if Ta-Nehisi Coates, like, just, like, fought these two to the death in the Coliseum, dude. I'm kind of kidding, but I'm kind of not. Like, it would be more entertaining and more useful. It would be more, like, telling about society if they just, like, had a death match with some lions and shit, dude. Like, And then I, I, I decided to, because I'm, I'm feeling better and I have my sense of humor back at least to some degree. And so I decided I just play with it instead of any of the other possible options that were open to me. And that's worked out extremely that well. Shapiro's so fake. Look at his smile. Here. Cause I'm, I, I'm feeling better and I have my sense of humor back at least to some degree. And so I decided I just play with it instead of any of the other possible options that were open to me. And that's worked out extremely well. We've raised about $150,000 for charity because of, but it isn't disappearing. It doesn't seem to disappear. What? What's with the cut, bro? What's with the cut, bro? There are possible options that were open to me. And that's worked out extremely well. We've raised about $150,000 for charity because of, but it isn't disappearing. It doesn't seem to disappear. And every so often somebody comes out of the woodwork and takes another swipe at me. I'm going to try this at 1.25 just to, just to get through it a little quicker. If it's, if it's weird, I'll either change or you guys can complain in the chat and you let me know. And hoping that perhaps, I don't know, hoping, I don't know yeah, what. Chad says, let, let us not forget that uh, Peterson contributed to the UN Agenda 21 document and that he's a trilateral commission attendee. Fact. Hoping that this will be the time that I finally. Get- I can already tell I don't like it. Now back to normal. This might be this might be a long one. I, really, I don't know. Let's let's let it play for a couple minutes at one point two five, and you guys let me know. I can't do one point five. Wiped out, and you know that's happened three or four times in major media outlets this year alone. Uh, uh, the woman who interviewed me for GQ, um, she wrote a couple articles. One in the Atlantic Monthly, Helen Lewis, and she still seems to be quite disappointed in the fact that I exist. And decade can head in the in the Times in in, in the UK. She was quite the piece of work. And then this last episode with Tennessee Coates, I, I thought about it. I'll tell you what I think. You tell me what you think about this. You know, there are people like me uh, in some ways, like Steven Pinker, Jonathan Haidt, who are public intellectuals who are standing up against critical race theory and the worst of the leftist propaganda. Um, they're rationalists and atheists in the main, scientists. And I have one foot in that camp. But I also have a foot in the mythological, dramatic, religious camp. And, you know, Nellie Bowles, who's one of the journalists who came after me, she's the one who wrote the Mia Culpa three or four months ago, pointing out that she used her position to destroy people's reputation just so she could attract attention to herself. Surprise, surprise. And, 
you know, she called me defender of the patriarchy, which was a ironic in some sense, her use of that, but also an insult, at least from her perspective. But that's me. Both sides of it, the rationalist side, the enlightenment side and the religious side. And so have those are those are diametrically opposed to each other, man. The the enlightenment is, yeah, the 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 enlightenment and the philosophy surrounding it is atheist. It's thinking that you can solve the world's problems without God. So you have one foot in the door. No, he doesn't. He does not, man. He is he is no feet in the unless he believes in God and follows a religion. You'd have no f- foot in the door as far as the mythological is not the religious. That's you know a secular fictitious interpretation of the religious and the religious stories. But no, that's false, man. He's that's the point of him making this whole time. The whole intellectual dark web, the Renaissance, liberalism, like classical liberalism. I don't like classical liberal, like the 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 qualifier there. That shit is liberalism, and like you know, what is what is now become liberalism would be called like psychotic liberalism. But it's all liberalism. It's this freedom over morals thing. It's this, you know, it's your way over Yahweh. It, it, this the whole Enlightenment was a mistake, yo. It, it's it's false secular it's all secular liberal shit like going back like 400 years at least the year like 1700 i don't i mean that's just a round number but certainly the enlightenment these guys are all enlightenment thinkers they they don't believe in god and if they do the it's a story that's useful in this earthly realm but they're not they're not grounded in that's what based is it's freaking grounded it's like gr- grounded in like the harsh reality of God's law. And I'm not the most based person in the world. There's more people based than me, but I am based because my foundation is God's like the harsh reality of God's law. So I, I disagree that, that, that thing he's painting right there, that there's, um, I don't know the, that him, him stink, Steven Pinker and Jonathan Haidt. I've read a couple of his books as well. I've read, uh, Steven Pinker's books as well. I don't remember what they're called, but this is all like during the 2016 guys during the 2016 to 2019 period, I was reading all the time, every single, uh, every single book that these types mentioned, I, I freaking read it or listened to it. And I read a lot more than the, but the people that he's talking about were him, Jonathan Haidt, Steven Pinker, and whoever they're just, uh, is saying is their opponents have more in common they, they, than they do than they do not. It, um, but it's like this this Overton window, this false dichotomy that has been painted as the center. It's a psyop. It's faking gay, and I think Ben Shapiro knows it. I don't know about Jordan Peterson. My kind of stance on him is like he seems unwell. I don't know how like intentionally how like big picture dishonest. Jordan Peterson is. I see him as more small picture dishonest. Ben Shapiro is big picture dishonest. And so I think that like a lot of this stuff is just fake and gay for clicks. They're either shilling or they, they create, it's like Hegelian dialectic, yo, like they're creating a problem, presenting a solution and they're fighting over like, like philosophical breadcrumbs. Boys. That's what I think. So I can't think of any other explanation really. No, I think I think that's right. I mean, I, when when I saw what what Coates had done in the Captain America comics, and I actually think that it does go to something root about our civilization at this point, because 
You talk a lot, Jordan, obviously, about mythology and the power of myth. And the most American form of myth at this point in time are the comic books, right? I mean, graphic novels are the form of American myth, particularly the Marvel Universe, which is the single biggest cinematic universe in movie history at this right, point. Right. And, and to take Captain America, who's the iconic American figure, turn him on his head so that he's opposing some of the stuff that you are saying. And what you are saying is reflective of Nazi propaganda. It, what, what it really does is it does place you in the position of Satan, except that the same people who very often are celebrating Satan. I would like to, I would love, of the two, I would love to interview Ben Shapiro. And I'm like, you can't leave. That would be in our contract. Like, you can't leave, and I won't interrupt you either. But you can't, we agree on a time. Uh, but like, the interrupting part, that's part of an interview sometimes is stopping them in their tracks. But, I, you know, guys know me. I, I don't do it that much. But I would love to interview Ben Shapiro, man. Like, Ben Shapiro and the subject is ju- ju- what it, Judaism and Satan. He's talking about Satan a lot here, man. In, in sort of his juxtaposition to God, I would never treat Satan that way. I think that you're worse than Satan because Satan is featured in Little Nas X videos as sort of something that, that ought to be imitated. Right. There's a celebration of his rebellious spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your foot in that religious inspirational worldview does differentiate you. from. What about it? What about that re- rebellious spirit? A lot of the other people who the left has, has somewhat targeted but has decided is not really worthwhile. That's why I think that the way that you were described in that comic book for people who missed it, basically the implication was that Red Skull was driving people to join Hydra by by issuing his 10 rules for order and talking about the greatness of civilization uh, and how you should make your room. And and all of this stuff is is yeah. driving many on the left up a wall, specifically because it's... That's part of the, the op right there is they're painting Jordan Peterson as the, like, right-wing bad guy. So what are we? Like, not allowed to be discussed. So completely outside of the realm. The Overton window is so important to study. Knows that when it comes... Or I guess it's not a study, it's, it's just a term, but it's very important to see what the, the main Overton window in a society is. And if these guys are the right wing, we need to change that. We need to attack these guys from the right. To driving the human heart, it's not enough to be a rationalist. You actually have to offer an inspirational program. And I think this is the great irony is that folks like Coates, they do offer an inspirational program, but their inspirational program is an inspiration to tear down exactly the institutions of Western civilization you defend, which is why he has created this dichotomy. Yeah, well, it's no, something that everyone you're creating, needs to take You're to. creating a dichotomy, too. Maybe more so than him. Obviously, across the political spectrum. I mean, it's quite clear that we need a story along with our politics. And that's because... He's right about that. The human heart demands an adventure. And that's especially true if you're young. You know, the, 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 the developmental psychologist, Jean Piaget, who's, who's a genius, a recognized genius, he has a stage of development. He posited the last stage of development as in adolescence, as the messianic stage. It it isn't talked about much in developmental psychology literature. I mean, Piaget was actually trying to reconcile religion and science. That was his life's work. And he investigated the development of ethics empirically in an attempt to bridge the gap between the is and and ought. And and he was very, very serious about that. It it drove his whole enterprise. In any case, he pointed out that... The bridge between the, the is and the ought is actual God. There's no human that can attempt that. I mean, what is that? Who's the guy's name? That David Hume. That's that. The, David Hume was a atheist philosopher that basically made that point. I don't know how long ago. Maybe it was seventeen. Maybe it was sixteen hundred. I'm not sure. But the is and the ought uh, conundrum is it is David Hume, and he said, he, you know, his main point was you can't derive an ought from an is that. That bridge is actual God. People have been trying that forever. They've been trying it for 400 years. Um, well, that's one of the reasons that the unmoved mover was, was what Aristotle came to. 
is because there's no reason you can get to what you ought to do from just like what is around you. Why can't I just like swallow this eraser right here? Like, why is it bad? I mean, I guess it can kill me, but there's many things that can't kill you right now. There's many things that are killing you over the long term. Shit, living is killing you over the long term. Why do it in the first place? The liberal secular worldview at the end, if you take it to its like logical, rational conclusion, everyone should just kill themselves. And I'm, I'm saying that like, I'm not saying that like everyone should. I'm saying the it's like if if this doesn't matter and if if you know my keyboard doesn't matter and if my daughter doesn't matter, I don't have any kids. But I'm just saying like if my family doesn't matter, if nothing matters, if we just like why not just like the logical out outcome is just to, like fuck everything, eat everything, and then die. You know, it that's the logical rational outcome of the, of this shit. And the thing that bridges the ought and the is is God, the reality of God. I mean, you could I mean, you could say maybe from a secular secular point of view, it's you influencing the next generation to do good stuff. But, if it, you know, that but that generation goes through the same conundrum. So it's it, it falls apart very, very quick. If you know how to philosophically extrapolate that there is a stage of development in late adolescence that he called the messianic stage where people are looking for. I suppose they're catalyzing their identity at the broadest possible level, which, which we would describe as religious. I don't care if you're religious or not. That's irrelevant to this discussion. At the point, at the highest level of generality, your identity, the best language to describe your identity happens to be religious, which is why we have a religious language, speaking purely from a psychological What is religion, Jordan? Perspective. And what that means is that there has to be a call to adventure in order to keep... No, it doesn't. Religion is not a mytho... I mean, true... God is not a myth, dude. Dude, this has been this is why I fell out of step with this guy because what that means is that there needs to be an adventure. How high are you, bro? How high are you right now? That's not what it means. I mean, that might be a truth about the human experience. I'll go there with you. But no, what religion means is that there needs to be an adventure. Fuck you. Like like no. The best language to describe your identity happens to be religious. Happens to be? No, no, no. The most true thing in the world is is religion. Which is why we have a religious language, speaking purely from a psychological perspective. And I guess I guess he did give a qualifier of like, but do you see how these guys place, Jordan Peterson places science explicitly in above theology. Speaking from a purely psychological perspective, Religion is the most, what do you say, true thing, and that re- means every person requires an adventure? Dude, let me get those pills, bro. What that means is that there has to be a call to adventure in order to keep people motivated to move forward in their life, both as individuals and as men. This is, this is what I was saying earlier about maps of meaning. Like The whole thing is about like this hero's journey as the ultimate motivator. You know, it's not, man. I mean, motivation is tricky. So I'm, I'm going to stay a little bit away from that because that's – there is secular point. There are secular points to be made. But, you know, the ultimate thing is God. There can only be one too. You know, like if it's – if there's more than one, it's not God. That's why they call it the ultimate thing, the unmoved mover. I, I – like I am who I am, you know? Members of society and – Look, George Orwell really knew this about the fascists, for example. I mean, Orwell was a... He's guys all over the place, man. Profound anti-fascist. 
I mean, profound in the emotional sense and also in the analytic sense. And, but he recognized very early and, and had the courage also to point out that the Nazis had conjured up a mythos that was unbelievably powerful and that the rationalist West had nothing in its armament to contend with that. And fascism, in, in some senses, it's, it's more difficult to mount a rational defense against than communism because the fascists do use nonverbal appeal. And, and Hitler used fire and imagery and fashion and architecture and art and, and culture in the broadest sense to move his political platform forward. The leftists, in, especially in the U.S., are quite good at the dramatic end of politics. You know, and, and the, the Antifa riots, that sort of thing, the Black Lives Matters, Black Lives Matter protests, they're appealing to young people. And you can imagine... I always remember, I saw this kid in Montreal once, he's about 17, and he's dressed in punk clothes, he's a big kid, six foot five, like a big, powerful kid. And he was standing on the corner of this outdoor shopping mall with two pink shopping bags in his hand. And he looked like a fool, and it was partly because he felt like a fool, because there he was, this like monster, standing there with these pink shopping bags. And I looked at him and I thought, geez, you know, if you went and invent... I can't stand Ben Shapiro's smirking fucking face <laughs> while he's telling story, like, zoom in on Jordan or something, it's like... It's so he's practiced this face so much, dude. And offered him an overseas adventure, a warlike overseas adventure. He dropped those damn bags and he'd be gone in a second. And no wonder. And so, so fake, dude. The dude is so fake. Like, I don't know. I definitely like Peterson more. Like, who, in terms, when I say who I like, I'm just saying, like, who I would rather, like, hang out with. I would always rather, like, Shapiro is more fake than Peterson, and Peterson is more unwell than Shapiro. But I think Peterson is more real. I would always hang out with the the unwell re- realer person than the just the fake rich, you know, piece of shit, dude. <laughs> like I can't stand Shapiro, dude. It's he's he's practiced this shit to a T, dude. I'm been on us to realize that that call to adventure is necessary and that it has to be built in in some manner into our political uh our political thinking and the left is very, very good at that. They're much better, the radical left, they're much better than the left centrists, and they're much better than the centrist right. Now, Ooh, ba- that's a good point. Did I hear that right? And in some manner into our political, uh, our political thinking. And the left is very, very good at that. They're much better, the radical left, they're much better than the left centrists. And- Fact, dude, this is what I've been saying for a while. This is like an argument in like a horseshoe. In, in a weird way, I like the far left more than the center. Base take. Look, I ain't no liar, yo. I know liar and I'm not a partisan. I'm not a just because it's him talking or Shapiro talking that I'll, I'll give the devil his due and I'll say when something's right. I agree with what he's saying here. I mean, it's in a certain context, right? But I think that the extremist on the left and the right is is more logically sound than than the center. The center is so dumb. At this point in the culture, or something like that, it's like you're either good or evil, man. And I think the left is like far left is evil, but at least they're saying things like you know we're we're pro baby murder because that's you know that we're we're pro nihilism. You know, all, all kinds of things, but I agree with this take. And they're much better than the centrist right. Now, Trump managed that to some degree with his populism, but not to this. <laughs> Stranded, Stranded in the chat says, what the heck is the center now? This is the center, and, like, Jake Tapper is the center. That, the, like, I think that, the, like, the center right 
is like Fox News and the intellectual dark web. And the center left is like CNN and I'm trying to think of other creators on YouTube and stuff like that. Just so I just don't say like piece of shit media outlets and things like that. But yeah, I mean, this is part of the center right now. Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro. The same degree as the intellectuals, the dramatic intellectuals on the left. I think that this points to you know, some serious problems at the heart of sort of classical liberalism. And I consider myself you know, a, a conservative socially and a classical liberal when it comes to the role of government. But it does point to some real problems with the, the heart of classical liberalism what? and the rationalist enlightenment side of the argument uh, that there is no greater appeal to the human heart other than sort of what works in pragmatism. And there has to be something on the other end of that. I want to ask you about that. There's no better appeal to the human heart than pragmatism. In just one there it is. second, Jordan. First, let's talk about your privacy on the Internet. Well, folks, we know that big tech is not a big Things fan. Are just, they're just cutting up this shit everywhere, dude. <laughs> really young men, and it really is a, a, a big thing that young men seem to have lost meaning. Postmodernism killed the, the scientific rationalist world, and the postmodernists have decided to substitute for that a certain utopian vision of the remolding of American society in, in terms of what they call equity, but, but really amounts to tribal dynamics. And you see this over and over, the, the radical... Tribalism left, is never going to go away, and it's good. ...pushing its own version of utopianism. Classical liberals have been wrong-footed, I think, by the what is your tribe? need for something more fulfilling, which is why classical liberalism always relied on an unspoken assumption that you were going to find meaning in your family, you were going to find meaning in religious community, you were going to find meaning in bettering your social life outside of government. But when that unspoken understanding just dissipated, when, when religion... That's why classical liberalism is fake and gay. ...and started to, to fall apart, all that was left was, well, let's just be rational with one another. There's not much inspiring there, and I think that's why you see that across the board, a drive toward irrationalism, uh, a certain level of romanticism dominating the society to the point where irrationalism is much more prized than rationalism. If you make a, a rational point, if you cite data, very often this is now considered not only in politics, but, but damaging and dangerous. The other thing that, that cut, dude, this shit is cut up into infinity, bro. Wow. Ideology does. And the, the radical leftists are also very good at this, is that it provides you with a locale, a convenient locale for the, for the uh, existence of evil. And so if you reflexively identify the patriarch, what is that's another great question. What is evil? I would ask, but if I, I would love to have these men on. I mean, I, I do kind of think sometimes that I'm, I'm digging a digging my own grave when I go after like I've gone after a lot of people that are way above me, like hundreds of thousands of I mean, of subscribers. I mean, Ben Shapiro has like three million subscribers. So I'm kind of like, you know, I'm never going to have these dudes on, but I would love to. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of talking shit. I'm kind of entertaining, but I'm telling, I'm not telling lies, you know, but I would love to, you know, streamers like me understand the game. Like I want people to on the show that know about, about shit talk, about locker room talk, about actual comedy, like stand up comedy, things like that, even though I'm not a stand up comedian or whatever. But I have serious questions. What is evil, sir? What is evil? What is evil? What is like ultimate evil? And don't tell me that the, the Garden of Eden was a story. I mean, it is. But don't tell me that's just a mythology that that like a that that goes straight to the human heart of of the 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 the, the pull of adventure in inside of every human soul. You know, <laughs> no, 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 no. What is ultimate evil? What is the the first? You know, the first evil act wasn't a lobster fucking a crawfish. You know what I mean? The evolution's fake. You know, like what was the first? Like evil's not true outside of humanity. When did humanity start? Went like, you know, th these are actual smart boy questions. You know, I'm not a, like a so-called smart boy, but I'm smart, and 
I'm telling you, these are fundamental presuppositional questions that these men need to answer. Like, what is evil, sir? It, you're because you're you're thinking past the sale so much. You're thinking past like it's just evil. Oh, ah, then, you know, then buy my gold, buy my sheets, and then it's like, oh yeah, the problem with evil is there's a mythology in the the spirit of every human, and if if that evil gets tampered with, you haven't defined it. You haven't defined what this is. What is evil, Ben Shapiro? with what is evil, Ben Shapiro? <laughs> evil. Well, first of all, that's a powerful idea. It, it independent of its broad merit. It's a, it's true. Now, it's not the only truth, and it's not the complete truth, but it's true. The reason it's true is because every hierarchical system, hierarchical system, degenerates, tends to degenerate in the direction of power. And all hierarchical... <laughs> Country Gravy says 12 metaphors for Christianity. Yeah. Uh, what's up? Impro- improperly labeled loser. Welcome. Um, there's a difference between evil and tragedy. I agree. Uh, Peterson has lectures on evil already. Yeah, I've watched them for sure. ...systems are less than they could be. But they're not interviews. You know what I mean? They're, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're not interviews. And that's partly because of... Because he's never been pushed on these questions. I've, I've seen le- those lectures on the Bible, Bible lectures on evil, um, but they're all from a mythological, you know, secular standpoint. And I don't believe that... I think that is built on sand. The possibility that power and deceit will corrupt them, but also partly because we're willfully blind and deceitful in our own personal lives. And so when you tell young people that the cause of the trouble they see around them in the world, and maybe even the disquiet in their own heart, is the malevolent inadequacy of their society, that rings true. And they don't hear the rest of the story. You know, And it's the rest of the story that I've been trying to tell. They don't hear the story that, yeah, don't forget about the evil and corruption that exists in your own heart. And don't forget about the fact that nature, this wondrous goddess as portrayed by the anti-human environmentalists, and I, by that I don't mean all environmentalists, by the way, that wonderful goddess nature is also ty- trying to make you ill and kill you at all times. And so, but the story that corruption exists in hierarchical structure, and that that's a consequence of malevolence, the malevolent use of power and deceit, that's true. So it's very motivating, especially if you're young and you're looking for an adventure. Now, it's also too convenient, which is one of its tri- tremendous dangers, because unless you're taught to look within and identify the malevolence there as the primary moral obligation, then you now have an excuse and a moral justification to take out all of your negative emotion, your hostility, your resentment, everything about you that's unexamined on the demonic enemy. And of course, that's that. That part's true. That part's very important to uh, remember as like, you know, as like a Christian or whatever. Um, Yeah, it's the idea of like, you sinning against a sinner is freaking sin. You know, that part's really, really true. It gets you like, you know, like you seeing evil. That's why I I speak out also in my streams against vigilante justice and, you know, wood shepherd, wood chipper mentality, right? Uh, Because there's a law and I don't, I'm not talking about the government, man. There's a law. The God has a law. I said it already. Sinning against a sinner, sinning against a person that has committed sin on you is a sin. It definitely is. That's why I I am pro, like, I'm sorry. That's in a weird way why I'm pro-government. Because if every motherfucker can just walk a dude into a wood chipper because they did something wrong, there's no order there either. 
That's why I'm not an anarchist. And they get like this thing where he's saying like there's all the just- justification in the world to like take out your bitterness and like to inflict – you are not the – you do not call your own shot as far as the law. There is a law. There's a law even if there's no government. You know, so sinning against a sinner is a sin. It, it's, it's true. That degenerates with extraordinary rapidity as, we, as we've seen over and over and over. So it's up to the it's up to the centrists on both sides to to deal with this. I've been talking to a lot of the optimist rationalist types on my podcast, Matt Ridley and Bjorn Lomberg and well and Height and, and Pinker more more distantly, but more recently, uh Lomberg and, and Ridley and and uh Marion Tupi, who who's written a lovely book on uh human progress, uh ten things everyone needs to know about human progress. It's something like that, huh? Anyways, one of the things we discussed consistently was the difficulty in promoting the message that all three of these men are very aware of, which is that from a material perspective, in terms of absolute privation worldwide, humanity is way better off on virtually every dimension you could possibly measure than ever. And now secular, I, 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 that's one of my arguments that I thought of when I read Pinker's book. Okay. If you look at the, the markers of better off that these new intellectuals make, they're all material. They're all material. I, what's a, uh, Pinker's flagship book. What's it called again? Better Angels of Our Nature. Uh, yeah, so I read that one back in the day, and that's like making the argument that everything's better now. It It's all about money. It's about resources. It's all s- material stuff. This is a... This is one of the main points of the, the intellectual... New intellectuals, Four Horsemen of Atheism, liberal... Just liberalism. It's all liberalism. And it's it's when when you measure for those things, sure. But why why are we measuring? What's the presupposition? Why are we measuring for those things? And most of that improvement has occurred in the last forty years, and it's been revolutionary. So, well, I mean, uh, it's about May says the quality of life is better. What? Tell me what quality of life is. It's speed, and no one knows this, and so it's very important. To, know, to try to think through why that is. Like, that's such a positive message. Now, I talked to Russell Brand about this, and I'm bringing him up for a reason. He's, he's a lefty by temperament and by heart. And his first objection, but he's very thoughtful and quick, his first objection, you know, I pointed out all this data showing that by every possible objective measure, everything is way better than it was certainly 100 years ago, but certainly even 20 years ago, um, even on the environmental front in the main. And he said, well, what about disparity of distribution. So there's the problem of absolute level of wealth, let's say. That's improving. But there is still tremendous disparity. And of course, that that is fair enough. You could even point out that the role of the left is to provide a conscientious voice for, for that's constantly attending to the fact of continuing disparity regardless of absolute level of wealth. And, and fair enough. But, but having said all that, it's a great mystery that incremental optimism is not sufficiently motivating and you can't just wish human nature is going to change it's not going to change we got to tell a better story and i also think uh, yeah that's why no I- See, ah, the buck stops with the story with this guy that's my problem that's the buck stops with the um, it telling a story is a lie stories are or they aren't i mean maybe it's not a lie but it's like fiction He's talking fiction at all times. That's another argument I have with this guy. I mean, I just saw someone said in the chat, like, it's about his like background as a psycho- like psychologist. Sure. But that's nonfiction. Like, we've got to tell a better story.
It's all framing. And it's not like there's a difference between telling a better story and finding out what the story is. What is the story? I believe it's Jesus Christ. I think that is the truth of this world. God is God. <laughs> God is God. He created everything. Not that long ago. Like no more than 10, 12,000 years ago. And God came down in the flesh and died for our, our, us sinners. And he was resurrected by God. You know, it's, it's one of the mysteries. That's why I you know, got into like, you know, Orthodox Catholic th- philosophy. And because th- there's mysteries there. There's stuff we don't get to understand. But the stuff happened. What happened is the truth. And telling, like, telling a better story as a way to save humanity has already been done. It is the real story. It is the real tangible truth of this universe. Okay? It's not Neil deGrasse Tyson having sex with Bill Nye in some science closet somewhere. It's not. <laughs> uh so I just I just like reject the premise. Like I'm telling you guys, get into presuppositional thinking, presuppositional argumentation. Because if you intercept the present, the premise, you can run wild. Like, well, really, the running wild comes when like, you accept a premise, flawed or not, and you run wild with it. Thousands of years after the fact, and like you, you, we have to tell a better story. Hmm. What could that story be? Could it be about a lobster? Could it be about a lo- uh, uh, a a lobster? I I'm a target. I think it's because I am actually trying to tell a better story, and I'm actually having some success with it. So I totally agree with that, and and that really does bring us to the book because one of the things that folks should know about all of your books is that they are very intimate, very personal. Now you talk about yourself, but you also speak in in a way that most writers do not. You use second person pronouns. I mean, you speak directly to the reader. You say, you feel this way. You think this way. And a lot of people read that and say, I do think that way. This is a person who's speaking directly to me in a way that you know mainstream political books very often do not. They consider me sort of a widget in whatever ideology they're pushing or or they, they're considering the, the value of systems or not systems. But you sort of end around that. And I think that in many ways, that's what men, members of the left find so, so threatening is because if you're a member of the left and you believe that all individuals are essentially just the outgrowths of institutions and therefore that all change by individuals is going to be thinks. insufficient. And that's mu- what he thinks. Look, that's what jo- Jordan Peterson thinks. It's that this story, what do you think this story you're trying to craft is? It's an institution, man. There's like, if you believe that everything is just outgrowth of an institution, oh, we need to, we need to tell a better story. That shit is an institution, man. That's what every fa- like false leadership, false government believes. That, that you're crafting a better story. That shit is the institution. Must be societal change that, that creates individual change. You're a threat because you're telling people, well, you know, the systems can certainly get better, but the main threat to you is you. And that is a deeply threatening message to people. And if people find fulfillment no. in that message, then the left really does have a problem because if no. people start improving their lives within the system and not blame Wait, it, so he's saying the left, you. Wait, I want to get this point right because I was about to pop off. If you're a member of the left and you believe that all individuals are essentially just the outgrowths of institutions and therefore that all change by individuals is going to be insufficient and that it must be societal change that, that creates individual change. 
Well, it's, that's where the left is really wrong is because there's no such thing as society without the inst- without excuse me. There's no such thing as society without the individuals. There's I mean, that's like forest trees argument. And like, you know, a forest is the makeup of trees. You're a threat because you're telling people, well, you know, the systems can certainly get better. But the main threat to you is you. And that is a deeply threatening message to people. What am I not listening about? Explain what I have to be like listening to you. What evidence are you talking about that Jesus had sons and was married? Like married? Like what are you talking about? What they're saying or what you're saying? Because present your evidence that like your your evidence is going to be secular. You know, it's going to be like I don't know what you mean by I'm not listening. People like it's your first time here. You know, we do a lot of things on the show, but like I'm listening to every word these guys are saying. People find fulfillment in that message. Then the left really does have a problem because if people start improving their lives within the system. So I agree with Ben's with with what Ben's saying here um, with like if you disagree with the message that you are the problem, it's really that sin is the problem and not blaming. But yeah, I get what he's I actually agree with what he's saying here. in the system for their problems and instead recognizing that that they can improve their lives. That's what members of the left hate most of all. You know, you talk about in the book, Jordan, the fact that people are constantly coming up to you and they're saying things like, you know, I... I okay, I get what you're saying, uh, lab, uh, improperly labeled. Yeah, thank you. ...was leading a, a dissolute life. I read your book, I started taking your advice, and I've turned it around, and now I'm doing much better in life. And, you know, I'm blessed to have much the same experience from a lot of people who listen to the show, people who have been homeless, who now have graduated Harvard Law School, people who were single moms and, and then and then decided to to take a college course and, and figure out their lives, people who've made mistakes and turned their mistakes around. And to me, those are inspirational stories. I think that because those inspirational stories exist, that I think is why people find you to be such a threat. It's because so many people are inspired by is the stuff that you Christ say. Is Christ real? And change the- it is Christ real? Their life individually without putting all of their ire and focus on a system that the left is mainly focused on tearing down. I defy anyone to go read 10,000 comments on my YouTube channels. No, don't do it. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's bad advice. That's bad advice. Don't ever read that many comments. Like that that's d- democracy. That's democracy right there. Yeah. And not come away. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> don't ever do that. I've gone like three scrolls deep and wanted to off myself. <laughs> uh with a much better with a much refreshed view of human nature. You need to curate that, bro. The comments are in the main unbelievably positive and not in a naive sense. They're positive in a thoughtful sense and and in a communal sense because the people who are making comments on the lectures are also commenting on each other. And there's ideological babble on both sides. I would say that's probably 5% of the comments. And uh, generally, I believe they're written by people who didn't actually watch the lecture because they're often out of context. But in any case, 95% of the comments are thoughtful, but also extremely positive, which is very rare in a social media comment landscape, which tends to be very, very toxic. And so I think that's absolutely great. And it certainly has that impact on me when I when I read it. Um, but then here's something else that I, I've observed in the media attacks that have been directed towards me. They're not just directed towards me. They're Well, first, they're directed to who they think I am. So that's kind of interesting to begin with. But more than directed to me and more perniciously. That's a big problem in today's culture. Like they're they're not directed towards him. They're directed towards who they think they are. Like, yeah, that's, you know, that's one of the things that like, you know, like I said, I'm a straight shooter. I'm not going to look at the rolled eyes on Ben Shapiro, by the way. I'm not going to. This is a correct point where we, we talked about on today's morning stream and last night with Robert. It's that if you don't agree on terms and open – that's why I've been saying open dialogue, not free speech. 
Free speech means nothing, man. Free means nothing. It means nothing, dude. But like open dialogue means something. It means you can meet at a table. You can agree on some terms. You can talk for a little bit. It can be fun. You can be, it can be entertaining for the audience. It can be many things. Open dialogue. Because you can – I've talked with leftists in real life. They didn't know who I was. <laughs> Uh, you know, in the last month, and I've been like, it's been fine. We talk shit. We talk about like culture. We talk about whatever. I mean, hardcore politics and hardcore culture war stuff didn't come up. And even if it did, I'd be like, whatever, you know. But if you can just agree on definitions, it's really kind of okay. And if you accept that you're not in a position of power, that's why I don't ever want to be in government, is because there's an element of like, dude, we're on a live chat right now. We're in a live chat. I'm talking shit into a microphone. We're not like changing much right now. I'm sure if my ch- channel blew up to, you know, 20,000 people watching at, at one time, something like that, I would have a bigger, I would have bigger like effect on people and I would have to deal with that. And, and I hope to God that it's incremental if it ever gets there. But it's like, dude, we get to figure out things and talk some shit and, and just figure out the def. It all starts with the definition of, of words. That's why I attack these people because they don't define their shit. They just they just talk. And I'm not saying, de- you know, define the word the or man, although society needs it. But that's why the, I've said it before. I'll say it, I'll say it again. The, the Bill Clinton line, it depends on what your definition of is, is, is one of the there's always an element of truth in comedy because the is the is 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 one of the most important things ever to talk about in a debate is that they're directed to those who are hypothetically following me. Now, I don't regard myself as someone with followers. I regard myself as someone with viewers, listeners, and readers. And that's different. Well, those are followers, sir. In any case, my typical follower, so goes the story, is a disaffected, angry, young, white male. And for a while, I, in some sense, pushed back against that and said, well, my audience is about 70% male, but YouTube skews male, so that's perhaps part of the reason. Yeah, and the internet does I see that. no evidence that it's particularly limited racially or ethnically, especially when I watch, see my lecture crowds and when I meet people on the street. But, but Yo, then I started to realize— Your lecture crowds are from four years ago. Is that, that was the wrong response. The right response is, why does it disturb you so much that there's a group of people who, by your own admission, are disaffected and angry and alienated and young— and I'm helping them. And why is that exactly a problem? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing with them? Just out of curiosity. What this you- is a good point, too. It's like, what are, you, what are you supposed to be doing with the world? Improving it or no? Like, this is where Jordan Peterson is on point about the critic- his criticisms from the left. The left is inherently a destructive culture. They want to tear shit down without replacing with anything at all that's quality. And, you know, this is one of the points where I would take the intellectual dark web over the left in terms of who would be in charge, because at least they're going to build something. Okay. Like write some books and shit, not just like put graffiti on an old memorial while shitting on it and putting syringes next to it. You know, you think if you had your druthers, would I ignore them? Would no one talk to them? Is that actually what you want? Well, the answer seems quite clear that that is exactly what's wanted. That's what's held forth because there's this implicit assumption in all of this critique that in my very active aid, I'm doing something immoral. 
immoral enough to be parodied, let's say, as Red Skull. And so just what the hell is going on here? It's like, why is that now uh, fodder for, for parody or slander, precisely? I mean, do you debate the fact that I'm helping? Well, you go read the comments yourself and see what you think. I hate Ben Shapiro's fake-ass face. <laughs> and so then, and then I thought about that a bunch, too. I thought, well, what is it with, with men, the men that I'm speaking to, let's say, um, why are they responding positively? Why did they come to my lectures, the biblical lectures, even, which is very surprising, right? Because what the hell are that was, man? It's also like the, the tour and the biblical lectures were all three plus years ago. I mean, the biblical lectures, I believe, were the beginning of 2017. And now all they do is just interview people doing it a biblical lecture, especially young men, especially when they could go do anything else so and they have to pay ago. for it. It's like, what are they doing coming to this lecture? Well, if the patriarchy is an evil ty- tyranny, it's not. Then the appropriate attitude towards any male ambition is to not treat it as ambition, but to treat it as nascent drive to tyrannical power, which is certainly what uh, Foucault would recommend, for example. Or, Foucault is a pedophile. Or Derrida, because it's all power. And so if you see some young man trying to stand up and better himself in any dimension, you're not going to trust that. You're going to identify that as the manifestation of tyrannical power. And clearly, if the patriarchy is a malevolent tyrant, then any sign of the desire to contribute it to it should be at minimum not encouraged, but more subtly criticized and discouraged at every possible opportunity. And that's our culture. So in a second, I want to get to a lot of the thoughts here. Big cut, dude. <laughs> Fucking, this is so funny. If I ever start doing this, man, you guys just got to leave. Please leave. Now, like, I'm going to do ads at some point, but it's going to be live on the spot, and there's going to be three of me in there. Live on the spot, and at least three of me in there. At least three, okay? At least three of me in there. Live on the spot, and at least three of me in there. At least Four three, even, okay? Maybe in five. At least three of Please me in there. Please support live the on daily the spot and at and least three of me in there. Here. At least Four three, even. okay? Maybe in five. On the internet. At, at least inter- three of me Please support live the on the spot. I know you like me. At least three of me in there. At least three of you like me. Okay? Maybe in five. On the internet. At least three of me. Give me shekels. Please support live on the spot. I know you like me. At least three of me in there. At least three of me in there. I know you like me. On the internet. At least three of me. Please support live on the spot. I know you like me. At least I know you like me. Okay, okay, I you like me. I you like me. Admit it. 
that you do like me and I like doing this job and support my work with whatever you can on the various platforms. Back to the program. Because, again, there's a lot of depth here and a, a lot of nuance that I think that a lot of people want to deny you, which is usually the way this thing sort of goes, is that if you have a lot of people who follow what you do and you have a general worldview opposed to that of, of many in the media, uh, then you are robbed of all nuance and everything turns immediately into your right-wing patriarchal fascist. That's just what it boils down to. It's always your evil, stupid, uh, or, or incompetent. Those are the three slurs that are usually tossed out there. Yes, who, who, happened, who happened somewhat oddly to take things like Harry Potter seriously. So it's another reason that it's not that easy to pigeonhole me. It's like, okay, I'm all those things, but now I'm taking pop culture seriously. I, I'm thinking that when people are reading Harry Potter, they're not just fools, that this isn't trivial. Just like the Marvel Universe isn't trivial. People wouldn't be spending billions of dollars on it if it was trivial. They wouldn't be reading, you know, half a dozen 600-page books when they're 10 years old, which is what happened with Harry Potter if it was trivial. And so the other thing that happens is the mainstream critics of the type we've been describing just wave their hands about that and say, you know, I'm wandering off into some intellectually contemptible mystical landscape. But that's not the case at all. I'm taking this very, very seriously. And when something happens like the Harry Potter phenomenon or the Captain Marvel, Marvel Universe phenomena, anyone with any sense who's a sociological so, or psychological observer is going to try to get to the bottom of that. And so I... Dude, oh, getting to the bottom of fictional stories is not the bottom. Getting to the bottom of Harry Potter is not the bottom. <laughs> like, Harry Potter, Marvel Universe. I mean, I, I'm not saying there's no, like, value. Like, noticing what stories are created in pop culture is not a bad thing. It's not what I'm saying at all. But, like, that is, like, the definition of what I would call shallow. You're, like, you're looking at this glass, and it's, like, the stuff in the top half or like even the top 20% and it was like Harry Potter, you know, you know what's going on in, in like internet thought today. And like, even like, even the all enlightenment thought is in the top 40, 30% because it's all about man and the, the scene realm. There's some stuff. I don't know whether it's in the Bible or just in like the Catholic catechism. I, I don't know where it is, but where they talk about that, like most of the, of what is reality is unseen. I don't know where it is. I read it in the past month or so. But if you're talking Harry Potter, this is like skimming the surface of the surface. You know, and like you're trying to figure out like the, the thing of like what's going on. If you're like what's going on in the world or like what's going on in reality. That's like all of truth, all of reality. And you're talking about Harry Potter and Spider-Man. Yeah. And, and, you t- and for hours, too. And for hours and hours. It's just so sh- it's so shallow. Even though to most people it wouldn't be shallow. Like, like, to most people, this is a deep conversation. I mean, shit, this is a deep conversation. But it's not as deep as Christ. It's not as deep as... I mean, even, like, that's why I like talking about theology so much. I mean, like, the podcast last night with with Robert was great because this guy is, like, an honest actor. Robert is an honest actor in the world who has really thought about Christian Christian denominations, cults, and, like, why certain things are true and why certain things are false across, like, a millennial perspective. And, like... I don't know. In each one of these centuries, there were stories and things like that. So it's not nothing. It's kind of slippery, to be honest, because, you know, there were fiction stories and like Hamlet matters, Beowulf matters, uh, 
the Marvel Universe matters. Star Wars matters. But it's like to be your ultimate. It's really what I'm really saying is if it's your ultimate determiner of like how humans are, it's really weird to me, yo doing that with the books and but you know like i said the consequence of that is it's just hand well yeah i mean that, that's part and parcel of an entire gaslighting effort by the media to to radically shift culture and then when you know that culture is radically shifted uh, then they say how dare you notice that culture is radically shifting or if you point out that something is quite popular and may have a deeper meaning they know that that's why they're making it that's why they're monetizing it but the moment you point it out they say how dare you even pay attention to the fact that this is an important thing in culture this just shows that you're silly it's it's all honestly a, a childish gaslighting game but i want to get to some of the rules in the book the, the first rule that you talk about jordan is not to carelessly denigrate social institutions or creative achievement and here this is really a post-partisan message it's it's a re- post-partisan huh what does he say there how dare you even pay attention to the fact that this is an important thing in culture this just shows that you're silly it's it's all honestly a, a childish gaslighting game but i want to get to some of the rules in the book the, the first rule that you talk about jordan is not to carelessly denigrate social institutions or create not to carelessly denigrate social institutions or creative achievement and here or criticize creative achievement. What does it mean by carelessly? So if you think harder in your brain, you can do it. Uh, I need another break. I'm going to uh, turn it off. Yeah, so I'm just going to let this play for a minute or two. This is really a post-partisan message. It's, it's a recognition that conservatives respect for tradition, respect for the past is really a respect for institutions that have been built up over the course of thousands of years in conjunction with a, a, an increasingly good understanding of human nature. And that has to be balanced with a, a, a recognition that we can't get so tied up in these rules that it becomes impossible to extricate ourselves from them. We can't, we can't fossilize these rules and turn them into uh, something that is, that is unchangeable in any way. That in, in essence, we should be cautious about changing the rules of society. They should be changeable, so we shouldn't obliterate them. But we also have to, you have to know the rules of the game before you can change the rules of the game. And if, you're playing, uh, if you're playing Calvin Ball in, in Calvin and Hobbes and the rules of the, cha- the game change every second, that's not a game anymore. That's just an exercise of power. But you also have to recognize that sometimes the rules do have to change. How do you balance those two things? Well, I think the first thing you do is vow to tell the truth so that you don't foul yourself up. And then I think you pay attention to what manifests itself to you as meaningful. Because I think that meaning, I literally think, and I think this empirically as well as spiritually, let's say, I believe that the instinct of meaning signifies the optimal information processing function of the nervous system. So when you're balanced properly between order and novelty, or order and chaos, that that manifests itself to you as deep engagement. And that's a signal. And it's not merely cognitive. It's way deeper than that. It's a signal that you're in the right place doing the right thing at the right time. And everyone wants that. And everyone wants that all the time. Like images of paradise are representations of that state of being. So it's there for you. But, but they're preconditions. And one of the preconditions is that you strive to do the best, to aim at the best. And that has to be your fundamental ethos. That, and it's a decision that despite all of the calamities of being, that your primary ethical obligation is to work for the betterment of yourself and others. And that's a very complex decision because there's so much of you that's twisted and turned against existence itself because of its suffering and complexity. It's very hard to get your head straight about that. And so you get warped and twisted by resentment and, and, and deceit and, and temptations of various sorts. So that has to be straightened out so that you are aiming in the right direction. And, and, and once, once you manage that, or perhaps in conjunction with that, you have to watch what you say. You have to say what you believe to be true. Not because you're trying to accomplish something specific with what you're saying, but because you're attempting to represent what's happening 
in front of you as accurately as you possibly can. I agree with that. This is the truth stuff that uh, Peterson, that really turned me on to Peterson about three years ago. Because it's true. It's like there can't be an agenda. I mean, there can be. You can be clear about it. And your, your agenda has to be to, to do good. But telling truth, this is where, like, I'm, I'm actually pro-Peterson. Because, um, yeah, like, that's why I'm, like, a little bit, like, the truth thing, truth without an agenda is very noble. Is very noble. But I think that's Christian as well. Because, I mean, man, that's tricky, too. Because if Christian truth with an agenda is you to convert the person to Christianity. That should be, like, the ultimate goal, knowing that you can't just press on them harder and convert them to, to Christianity. So it's very, very slippery and tricky here. But this thing of like truth, well, truth is good in and of itself, you know, it's, but what is truth? What is truth? So, but I agree with Peterson a hundred percent on this point. It's that you need to speak the truth without an agenda, Without your agenda in, in all of your speech. If I'm just like, because like the thing is, I've been saying for hours now, it's like Jesus Christ is the truth. So that means if you ask me something, I could just be like, well, you know, Jesus Christ is the truth. And you know, Jesus Christ is the truth. And you know, like, and they're like, oh, what do you want to, to eat today? I'm like, oh, well, you know, Jesus Christ is the truth. So that's the truth. But it's, uh, life is amazing, man. <laughs> Life and human dialogue is just so fascinating. I love it so much. It brings me joy to think about what life dialogue and human interaction really is. Because, you know, the most true thing can be like the gayest, most subversive thing. Like we literally just said it. We literally just said it because like you could say, what if what would what what would happen if, if a friend said 50 things to you and every single thing you said back to them was Jesus Christ is the truth. Cool. It's true, but you're not doing shit, <laughs> you know? So it's like, it's this, that's why I think that like the Bible is not 100% literal and all the characters in the Bible are not like just literal all the time. There's rhetoric in the Bible. There's poetry in the Bible. There's hyperbole in the Bible and they're not just saying exactly what it is. It's, just, it's a comment really on indirect warfare versus direct warfare. Direct warfare rarely works. Or direct conflict or whatever you call it. Like I'm not even talking about violence. I'm talking about like how you handle the business of getting something done. Whether it be persuasion or building stuff. I'm only learning about building stuff right now. You know, but directness all the time, that's how to lose all the time. That's why rhetoric's effective. It, all these things are effective, but like imagine if you were to say the brutal truth or the, just the truth all the time, like like the the truth, the ultimate truth all the time, it would never work. So there is an element like it shit is philosophy and dialogue is so complicated. Human interaction is, is complicated, but you have to know what the truth is. Can and let go of the consequences. And so, and then you search for this, you search for this engage, you search for the engagement that that produces. And this is one of the things I love about long form podcasts is that when in conversation, 
takes off properly and, and it's dynamic and unscripted. Both of the participants are striving to keep that sense of engagement constantly at play. And if they True. do that, then True. And the conversation is engaging and deep and gets as deep as the people involved can manage. And they'll pull the entire audience along for the ride. And everyone is thrilled about that. That's Logos. That's the manifestation of Logos. And it's deeply meaningful. It's, there's nothing more meaningful than that. And, and that's, a, that's a sign that you've got that balance right. You want to be there all the time. That's the goal is to be there all the time. Of course, that's a lofty goal and, and very difficult to attain. But yeah, but that's, that. that is uh, that's a good goal. But on the other hand, it's like many times when you achieve that goal, you haven't talked about what the meaning of words are. It's the end game. So, Jordan, in a second, I want to ask you, how do people aim for the best and how do we define the best such that we don't fall into sort of a radical subjectivism where we all define the best for ourselves and the best can mean anything we want it to mean? And ask you about <laughs> that in just one second. How we don't fall into a radical subjectivism. You're in it, baby. You're already in it. <laughs> how we aim for the best and how do we define the best such that we don't fall into a sort of subjectivism trap? What is the most high, Ben? Where the, what is the most high? The best is just whatever I feel like is the best for me or, or the best for the universe, but in my own particular viewpoint. Is there such a thing as an objective best that we're all searching for? There's a transpersonal best. Doesn't, doesn't, add, doesn't answer the question. I don't know if it's objective. I think we need a third category, which is something no. like trans. No, you, you don't. What is the best? What is the most high? You don't need anything. I mean, you could look, there are, that's why I talk about false dichotomies so much because there are real dichotomies and there are real monochotomies. <laughs> What's the one of dichotomy? I don't know because there is a real such thing as oneness. There's also such a thing as a dichotomy, but there's also false versions of all these things, yo personal subjective so it's it's the same across people but it still manifests itself in the subjective domain there's a technical problem with being selfish because you might say well it's myself against others and i could just do what was good for me there's a technical problem with that which i outline in both books but in particular in beyond order is that well if it's let's say you're only acting in accordance with what's good for you well which you do you mean exactly good point also this is a great point you are changing now. <laughs> like, you are not even the same you of an hour ago. I mean, who is you? <laughs> the one that resists temptation with God's help or the one that's beating off in your basement, like, an hour from now, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, who is the you? This is also a great point that Peterson makes. Who is you? You know, the <laughs> there, there, is there a such thing as you? You know, there's the soul. There's God, you know, but it's very, very, I, I think it's very, very important for the secular people to understand. It's like, who is the you? Is it tomorrow? Is it yesterday? Like it, Do you mean you in the next five minutes or the next 10 minutes or the next day or the next week or month or year? Or you under certain influ influence, like media influences and stuff. and stuff. I don't mean like CNN and stuff, but like the you after you've had an in inspiring thought or before or what or five years etc you get you get the picture there's the you reflections on liberty in the chat says unfortunately this conversation stays in the solely material terms a hundred percent exactly what that's all they can do that's all the secular intellectual dark web can do that's all they can do because they can't step into the spiritual while quoting the spiritual, they, they say things about Satan, but it's all goes back to 
Notice that they didn't really mention God. A very interesting part of this podcast is they haven't – they've mentioned God – excuse me. They've meant, mentioned Satan more than they've mentioned God. They've mentioned Satan two times, I believe. But yeah, they, they can't go there because it's not really in their worldview. That extends at multiple levels of temporal resolution, and that's a group – that you, I mean, you're an old person, not yet, but you will be. And so you could say that if you were enlightened, selfish, you'd act in a manner now that is best for your 80-year-old self. And so if you take yourself seriously as an entity that exists collectively across time, then you're faced with the problem of the collective instantly, even if you're highly selfish. So I don't think that there is a selfishness that's logically juxtaposed against the interest of the collective. And I do think that there are emergent ethics that are inevitable. I think you see them cross species, even to some degree. Um, uh, there are playable and non-playable games. That's a good way of looking no at it. There are no animal is, ethics. There are zero ethics outside of humanity. An iterated, iterated series of interactions. And out of iterated series of interactions, ethics emerges. And it emerges with a structure. And, and we recognize this structure. Uh, one way we recognize it, I believe, and this is also assuming that your eyes are open and you're not lying to yourself to too great a degree, you'll be struck with admiration for certain people. That grips you. Well, why? Well, that's the manifestation of the instinct to imitate. That grips true. you with admiration. It's the same sense of meaning. And True. That's true. Yeah, the admiration is the instinct to imitate. Fact. It's because that person is doing something that signals to you the place that you should advance to. Yeah, and that's true. Our cognitive architecture is predicated on imitation to a degree that's almost impossible to overstate. And that sense of awe which is an elevation of the sense of meaning, is manifested when the admirable makes itself present. And that's not really cognitive. It's not something you think through. It's something that grabs you. Now, you can make it explicit. You can decompose it. You can take it apart. The idea of worship, when the idea of worship is taking, taken seriously, it's, it's the injunction to imitate. It's to find the highest thing you can possibly find to admire. No, it isn't. It's to give the most worth. It's not what worship is. It's not to imitate. It's not to, the instinction to imitate. No, it's not. It's to worship that is the most high. It's to give ultimate worth. We talked about a little bit on uh, the stream with Robert last night, and we looked up like the Greek roots of it and stuff like that, and it's always like to bow down. The thing that we got to last night, and that was one thing. One of the things about the the podcast with Robert was like, it was a little bit all over the place. All over the place. Next time I have him on, it will be a little more like I'll try to rein him in a little bit more. But when we looked up this, uh, is it proskinesis? This, this, the Greek word for worship most used in the New Testament. It meant to like bow, bow down. Was God bowing down? No, <laughs> no. God was God. God was being God. He was being the most high. <laughs> you know, God, what worship means is to give ultimate worth. Okay. That's one definition, but it's like, in, 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 it can mean to bow down. It can be to sacrifice to, it can be to give ultimate worth, but really it, it's not to imitate. No, 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 no. I mean, that could be like obedience or something like that. What he's saying but it's not to imitate. No, we do like, you know, d God does not worship God. Now, in, in, in some ways, you know, God created his creation to glorify himself. Right. But it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Like to worship is to 
give were like th- that's the root word of it at least is were w r worth worship to give ultimate worth to sure and then to imitate that and that grip is that's the worship that's the awe and that's an instinct and it's related to the fact that we live in social hierarchies and that we admire those who have progressed in the hierarchy in the direction of the goals that we are striving to attain so all- god god progressed to nothing god is god God is the great I am. He is living. He is existence himself. So, no, he did not progress to anything. God is the same today, now, and forever. <laughs> like, yeah. Built unbelievably. So it's like, like that's what, that's my main, like, thesis on these guys. The whole intellectual dark, dark web, liberalism, they don't understand what God really is. Shit, man. I don't understand what God really is. It's it's really a mystery at the end of the day, but that doesn't mean you can't understand it. But it's the unfathomable, unfathomable, like the all knowing, the all present, the it, it. But it's not your myth. It's not your Joseph Campbell story, bro. Deeply into our biology, um, to a degree that hasn't been appreciated. And then it yet. all appeals to science, psychology, bio, biology. It appeals to science. Their God is science. False. That is a false religion. That were taken sufficiently seriously. That religious instinct is real. It's real. It's more real than anything else. So, Jordan, one of the things that you- Nope. Oh, man. Are you going to another ad? No, he's not. Talk about it. And, and this is what so many people have, I think, honed in on, and I think a lot of people find it threatening, uh, is the, the fact that one of your main messages in all of this is that the way that you're going to find meaning and the, the people who you're going to want to imitate are the people who take on the most responsibility. And in a society that focuses a lot on rights and very, very little on duties, uh, th- that, is a, that is a super countercultural message. And the fact that it's resonating with young people has to scare- It's also a false message. I mean, it, it resonates in a society that takes little responsibility. But, dude, you could go outside and dig the – you can make it your responsibility to dig just the biggest hole. Just outside, you could spend 10 hours a day in the sun. It's your responsibility to dig a hole. This is why, like, uh, libertarians and many people say that the, the – no, it's not. No, libertarians debunk the labor theory of value. So they're right about that. It's like the amount of work or just labor itself, responsibility of itself is like uh, – is the equate is what value is it's the same thing i'm talking about right here like the amount of responsibility like what is responsibility really i mean real responsibility is to do god's law is to follow god and take up your cross like i've jordan peterson has made this case for years that the what they mean by taking up your cross is to assume the most amount of responsibility it's it's true and it's false. Yeah, let's keep listening, right? Let's keep listening. Scare the living hell out of a lot of people because the simple fact is that so much of our society is predicated on the idea that it that it is actually in some ways antisocial to take on responsibility. That taking on responsibility defeats the purpose of the infrastructures that we've created to relieve you of the responsibility. So if you say no, I, I well, well, that part that he's talking about what the left believes is also is is more false than taking on responsibility. Of course, I don't want your help. I feel that your help is is enervating me. And my job in life is to shy away from that supposedly helping hand. This is another false dichotomy. It's like. Um, responsibility is bad and the opposite of that is to take on the most responsibility both are false actually is is crippling my ability responsibility to do what ability to care for myself and my family 
that scares a lot of folks who are invested in these systems. But you really preach responsibility. And, and I think that's right. I mean, I can't think of a single person that I admire who is a person who shirks. In fact, I, I find it hard to believe that there's anybody who people admire who whose main goal in life is to shirk responsibility and engage in personal pleasure. As much as people may talk about that, it's just not something people naturally admire. You can see that admiration. So many some- cuts, man. This shit is cut up, man. Sometimes. So you can think about the film Rebel Without Cause, for example. There's the romantic rebel who shirks duty because, but the real reason is he's standing up for a higher responsibility and refusing like blind pathological conformity. And so you can, you can get around the responsibility problem that way and, and admire, you know, creative rebellion, something like that. And, but, but those few exceptions apart, I ask my readers just to think for themselves about that. It's like, well, who do you admire? And when do you admire yourself? When do you have some self-respect? And when does your conscience bother you? Do you have self-respect when you're shouldering your responsibilities or when you're abdicating them? You might say, well, I don't have any responsibilities. It's like, well, do you have any goals? Well, I don't have any goals. Well, then you don't have a life. It's like, you can't even act. You have to have goals. That just doesn't work. That isn't isn't a statement that works in the world. If you have goals, you have responsibility. The responsibility is to progress towards the goals. You can even change the goals if you want, but you can't get rid of the fact that you have a responsibility to move towards your goals. And you can say, well, I'll just dispense with goals. It's like, well, unless you're like the Buddha... Good luck with that. And even in the Buddha's case, Buddha got that got that wrong, dude. <laughs> that the Buddha's wrong on that. It's a false religion. And he had nirvana at his fingertips, but rejected it to go back to redeem the world. So the only instance we know of, essentially, mythologically or otherwise, where there was a detachment from goals and nirvana attained as a consequence, the consequence of that still was the adoption of responsibility, the rejection of nirvana as a solitary pursuit. So and then you think about your own life and the life of your parents. Well, where do you find your meaning? Well, in your intimate relationship, is the responsibility there? Well, there is if you're if it's a relationship that's based on trust and love and fidelity. Your children, your parents, people who depend on you, you're not going to have that. Well, that's a responsibility. And and is, wouldn't it be something if that's where the meaning was? Well, it is. And this is my experience. I've really been thinking about this lately. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying that he's very good at peeling layers back, but he never, like, you you have to stop peeling or peel back all the way. And what he does is he stops peeling and he says, like, that's good enough. You know, and it's not. Like, you have to peel, you have to peel all the way or you just eat that shit raw. That's what I kind of think. Maybe I'm a black and white thinker or something like that. I think that's a good thing. And like he just he's a he's a half peeler. He that's why I actually like him more than Shapiro. Because Shapiro, I think he has it peeled and he's made his decision. But like Jordan Peterson needs to peel more and he needs to tell people when he hasn't done it, you know. About where the deepest meaning is. I was talking to this guy, Chris the Williamson, deep, a while back. The and he's best. And he, he starts, he says things like est. Like est. Deepest. And it's not, he, you haven't done deepest or most meaningful or most. These, these qualifiers, these ultimate qualifiers, you are falling short. He's got this new, po- kind of new podcast in the UK. And I was really struck when he interviewed me because his, he spoke, when he asked me questions, he, he, was no, he had no speech errors. No ums, likes, you knows, no pauses in attention, nothing. And I asked him about that. And he said he had been practicing being precise in his speech for six years and had really mastered that. But in any case, he, before he started this podcast, which is called Modern Wisdom, he, he was a successful young man in, in the sort of quasi-celebrity way that the culture might offer as a 
icon for admiration. He worked in nightlife and he's an attractive guy and he had money and he had women and his modern critique of hierarchy is so wrong that it's actually the opposite. Now that doesn't mean it can't be corrupted. Institutions get corrupted by deceit and by power all the time. But that doesn't sin. By everything gets corrupted by sin, dude. Doesn't mean that that's their central essence. So we tell young people cut, and that's true too, man. Like, oh man, the early church had sin in it, but they were it was the early church. That's true too. Another ad. Let's go over here. Okay. Well, there's a book I've found myself citing frequently these days by Carl Truman called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And his basic proposition is that the failure of Western civilization over the course of the last several decades is largely attributable to yeah, a I false just read that. The, the artist just recommended that. That was a good book. Let me go over that. I actually never uh, looked up the, the background on this one. So Carl, at least he's a Christian, right? Carl Truman. <laughs> yeah, this is a good book. It's about a 15. Well, I didn't read it. I listened to it. <laughs> uh, it was good. Uh, good listen. Goes into gay pride. Now he's Orthodox. Wow. Yeah, dude. I don't know. I really think the where I sit right now is the, the logical outcome. The lo, The logical if that's even a thing, or rational, historical, philosophical, I don't know. It's either Catholicism or orthodoxy. Like most of the base people, really based in love with the truth, they end up being orthodox or Catholic. Like almost every time I look it up when there's like a cool book, but you should read The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. It's about 14 hours of a listen. I didn't read it. That's what, ah, fuck. (laughs) I want to like language police myself, right? But like I listened to it. It was about 14 hours. It was really good. The artist recommended it. It was awesome stuff. It goes into the gay thing. It goes into the, the subjectivity thing. It goes into the academia thing. It's a really good book. He's citing it right now. Why aren't you a Christian, Ben? Of, of helping people achieve the best in themselves. And this brings me to, uh, I think, a deeper question about the nature of identity in the modern world. There's a book I've found myself citing frequently these days by Carl Truman called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And his basic proposition is that the failure of Western civilization over the course of the last several decades is largely attributable to a false version of what constitutes the self. His, his basic case is that most people understand this innately with, with regard to their own children, that children are innocent yeah. and children are cute and children are barbarians. And it is your job as a parent to civilize children. And to civilize children means exactly what it sounds like. It is to take children and then to enmesh them in a framework of rules and values that make them better people. And so identity is what grows out of the interaction between yourself and a society that surrounds you and a set of rules that are meant to make you better and allow you to practice to get better. But where at do they come from? Being you and helping others and, and is acting as a, as a citizen within a, a functional society. The, the modern it's version of self. what it's about, dude. I mean, that's part of it, but they don't, man, I think this guy is such a snake, dude, because that's not the main point. I mean, one of the points of the book is that he's going to remain dry about it, that he's not going to take like a hardcore point about where it comes from. But like a theist knows where that's a D is a D the, a theist knows where that's where that comes from. Where does it come from? The person writing the book knows where it comes from. And he also recommends stuff at the end of the book 
of how to solve these things a little bit. Not too much. But, dude, liars love to spin the truth, man. Is almost precisely the opposite. And that is that true meaning is not to be found in the interaction between you and society. True meaning is to be found in your authentic self, free of society's constraints. So every sort of constraint that could be placed on your notion of authentic self-identification is a barrier to happiness. And, and so biology can be a barrier to happiness. If you're a man and you believe you're a woman, this means that you're a woman. And anybody who says differently, even using objective measures like biology, this person is actually a threat to you. If you are a, a believer that, that children ought to be enmeshed in a system of religious values that propagates and has been propagating uh, the notion of basic morality for several thousand years, that is an imposition on you as an authentic human being, that the authentic person is the person who is free of society, who is free of civilization, so Rousseauian, natural, savage, living, completely absent uh, all of the restrictions of the surrounding society. And when you talk about you know, the, the power of mentorship and the power of teaching, you're assuming that, that identity is nary a mention of God, really more formed or more properly formed in that connection between the human being and the society surrounding them uh, than it is by simply looking within and finding the, the fulfillment you seek only within. Yes, that's a very complicated question, and so I'll, I'll take it apart a couple of ways. I just had an outstanding scientist on my podcast, and he's the world's foremost authority on the development of aggression. Yeah, I was notice that uh, notice that he doesn't address the point straight on. He goes to a story. He goes or he goes to him interviewing another person or some sort of story. It's very interesting, man. Like. Is it them trying to create content? Is it, is it them trying to like extend the conversation or something? Like, why don't you just address what they're what he's just said? And what did he just say? I I don't know. Like, it's very these people are fleeting, man. Like, I don't know if it's trauma. Like, I'm not trying to say I'm smarter than these guys. I'm not trying to. I, I don't know. Maybe I am. I'm probably not. I seem like I feel like an idiot, but. I know what addressing a point is and they don't like do it. They don't, they move from a, either a straw man or an abstraction of a point to a story about something else that skims on the point to um, like, it's very weird how these guys are male and female and there are different patterns. And so he was a Rousseauian to begin with. He believed that, we're born good, essentially, and that we learn aggression through modeling, through all sorts of pathways, but fundamentally that it's learned. But he's com conducted studies for four decades, longitudinal studies with thousands and thousands of children. He, like, ate up 30% of the social science research budget in Quebec at one point. Huge studies, top rate. He won the equivalent of the Nobel Prize for Criminology in 2017. And he had his view completely turned around. And so here's the facts. So aggression is there right from the beginning. So let's say that drive to power. And he defined aggression very specifically, measurably, kicking, hitting, biting, and stealing, which you can observe in children as young as two. The motivation for such things is there earlier than two, but children aren't very mobile before that, so they can't really manifest them. If you group children together in groups of the same age, the most violent people are two-year-olds by a lot. Okay, but having said that, 30% of two-year-olds virtually are never aggressive. 50% use aggression some of the time, and 17% use it chronically. And they're disproportionately male and disproportionately from families that are headed by very young, disturbed single mothers. And some of that's poor prenatal care in pregnancy, and some of it's postnatal lack of socialization. That, that's how it appears. And he's done intervention studies showing that if you support these women, that you can moderate that, that outcome. But we, we won't talk about that. Here's the crucial thing. 
across the board, those three categories of children, nonviolent, sometimes violent, and chronically violent, across the board, except for the nonviolent ones, of course, because they're not violent, the level of aggression decreases with age, dramatically, even among the most violent children. So the fundamental consequence of socialization is peace, not aggression. Okay. False. The- False. War against evil. <laughs> Look, I got, I've been back, you know, I had the be right back thing up for a second. And so I had my headphones on for a second. <sighs> what a false dichotomy. War and peace. War against evil is part of peace. What are you talking about, bro? Like, what are you talking about, dude? We are, we should inflict war. I mean, do you mean like physical war? Like what, what, what do you mean, dude? But like war, when there's more peace, there's more peace. There's more war. There's more war. It's like, great. You know, like, but dude, what about war on evil? What about that? The fundamental consequence of socialization is peace. The fundamental consequence of socialization is peace. That means nothing. <laughs> this means nothing. That statement means absolute. Okay. Not aggression. Not aggression. Okay. The, there's a subset of the violent kids who don't get socialized by the age of four. They're much more likely to be antisocial, criminal delinquents, and long-term violent criminals. Okay. I've and heard this argument before. But. That's because if they're not socialized by the age of four, they can't make friends. And friends are the fundamental, el- fundamental agents of socialization from four onwards increasingly. And so if you get knocked out of the peer group because you can't reciprocate and use violence as a strategy, then you fall further and further behind and become more and more alienated. And so the Rousseauian view has its pluses because 30% of kids aren't violent at all. But the Hobbesian view, which is that we're born in a chaotic and aggressive state of nature every dog for himself, let's say, also has its truth. But, but what's so interesting is that social, as children are socialized, the level of aggression goes down. Now, you see, if power was an effective strategy, what would happen is that the most successful kids would become more aggressive with time. And that isn't what happens at all. What so we're way too complicated about? to only rely on ourselves. No, no, no. We're social no, to no, the core. No, 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 no. I mean, we- and it's a tenet. It's so interesting because it's a tenet. We're way too complicated to define things just as war and peace and just to rest on them like they're good and bad shit. Like, like he's right about so much, man. He's right about so much about, like, how we're fundamentally whatever and whatever. But, like, he just half measures, bro. Half measures. I don't know. I don't know what the hell is wrong with Jordan Peterson, man. It's very hard to figure out. I've talked before about the gay retard. No, no, that's not part of it. That's not part of it. The gay. No, it's evil, retarded, and lying. That's the trifecta that I've messed with. That is just like I can't tell when what where these people are at. Evil, retarded, and lying. Gay. It's like gay. At the center is gay. <laughs> you know, the evil, retarded, and lying at the center is you're a faggot. <laughs> but like, I can't figure it out with uh, with Jordan Peterson. I can. I think Ben Shapiro is 
mostly mostly evil but a little bit lying i think peterson is lying i don't, I don't think either of these men are retarded but in the center there's gay <laughs> you are a closet or open gay <laughs> you fucking homo particularly a philosophy on the left that human <laughs> beings are almost infinitely malleable socially so how can you believe that and also not believe that socialization is a main pathway to, to genuine authenticity? You can't believe, well, you can, because you can believe both of those things at the same time and nothing horrible will happen to you, but they're still logically contradictory. So, no, we flower inside institutions. We're, they're not our enemy. It's a myth, Ben. It's a myth. It's the same thing. It's the tyrannical, tyrannical patriarchy killing the natural soul. It's like, yes, because every society demands its pound of flesh. And we're all crushed and bent and warped by our socialization insofar as it was based on deceit and power and, and insofar as our institutions were inadequate. That's true, but it's not, it's not enough of the truth. It's not enough. Of, look at our very language. Every word we speak was invented by other people. Every word we speak, we've agreed on the meaning. Everything we do is social to the core. That's not all our enemy. That's, that's a myth. It's Peter Pan versus Captain Hook. And Peter Pan never grows up. And the patriarchy isn't Captain Hook. Crooks are Captain Hook. Jordan, in just a second, I want to ask about uh, your definition of... What is this interview, dude? This is crazy shit. I mean, it's just like, what is fiction? What is nonfiction, bro? Ideology a little bit. And I think this is something with which I... I Straight up. Reflections on Liberty said in the chat, how long did Shapiro practice looking interested? This guy has his looks down pat and they look fake. I wonder if he practiced it looking fake. Like, this guy's like... It's so weird, man. I deeply agree. You know, listen, I'm a committed conservative in terms of my social values. I'm, I'm very committed uh, to my values as far as where I think the role of government lies and, and doesn't lie. But one of the points that you make is that it's very important to avoid being a rigid ideologue to the point where you're completely inflexible, to the point where your ideology completely throws out all the evidence on any proposition and prevents you from being able to see truth. Well, it depends on whether you want to solve problems or be right. What was that can't question, be- man? You can't solve problems without, like, a little bit of righteousness. Like, what is that? Completely throws out all the evidence on any proposition. You know, listen, I'm a committed conservative in terms of my social values. I'm I'm very. Conservative is such a gay label. Very committed uh, to my values as far as where I think the role of government lies. Did they cut between that? 5831 right here. Let's go back. The loved ones will be taken care of. Go to policygenius.com to get started today. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice and super important to get it right. All righty, Jordan. So in your book, you talk about abandoning ideology and the importance of being able to be, I think, almost playful with ideology a little bit. And I think this is something with which I... I playful with ideology. I don't want to play with uh, Judaism. I just want to play with Islam. I'll play around with Hinduism. I'll just look, play around. Just play. I'll just play. It's just fun. I mean, it's supposed to be fun. Like, talking to people is fun. We can have fun. I love fun. If you ask my, if if you watch my morning show, it's fun. <laughs> but like playing around, I'll oh, just play. I'll just play. You know, different ideologies. A little play around. A little. I deeply agree. You know, listen. I'm a committed conservative in terms of my social values. I'm- Notice he says he he never says he's a conservative, even though conservatism is kind of gay too. Like, it's not really even a thing. What are you conserving? I'm very committed uh, to my values as far as where I think the role of government lies and, and doesn't lie. But one of the points that you make is that it's very important to avoid. Where do you think government, like, the conservatives that I respect 
are the ones that are constitutional absolutists, right? Because that's something to conserve. Like you need a point. That's my point about believing in God. Like you need a point as far if you understand like geometry or just like simple drawing or simple music or whatever. You need a point. That's why I recommend to my music students that are getting into producing to make like a template for your track. As soon as possible, you make like an intro, even if it's long, you can always make it shorter or whatever, but like you need a point, every drawing or musical project or philosophical discussion in philosophical, in philosophical discussions, it's a definition, or if you can't define something, it's a word, but even a word needs a definition. And if you keep going back and back to what the original point is, it's God. That's why this shit all blends together, man. It's God because that is the ultimate point and you extrapolate from that point presuppositions as we were talking about earlier. But like there's a point like it, if you can do it visually or you can do it audibly or like orally. I don't know. I don't know what the word is. I need to get better with this stuff. <laughs> but yo, these people's worldview is built on nothing. It's, it's like or it's built on a point way past the point is not nothing because I've agreed with many things. If it was built on nothing, then it would be like, you know, just and you would be unintelligible, but you can understand what the men are saying, right? Like it's in English, you know, and there's a root to English. That's Latin, I believe, you know, but the ultimate point is God. That is the great creator. He created everything. So, man, it's crazy what these men are talking, man. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's extrapolating past some shit that is so above the surface that it's just crazy. Avoid being a rigid ideologue to the point where you're completely inflexible, to the point where your ideology completely throws out all the evidence on any proposition and prevents you from being able to see truth. Well, it depends on whether you want to solve problems or be right. You can't be both of those. And, and that's one. Solve problems or be right. Can you be both of those? False dichotomy. All problems get solved from truth. Every single thing that gets solved. Nothing gets solved because it wasn't true. It truly solved, right? It False dichotomy. You can either be right or. Or solve something. Now you can run into some serious problems from like trying to attempt to be right all the time. You know, back to what I was talking about like 30 minutes ago where one of my friends could talk, could say like, Hey, what do you want for dinner? And I say, you know, Jesus Christ is the truth. And they say, Oh yeah, but you want that like well done or whatever. I was like, you know, Jesus Christ is the truth. These are true statements. They're true things I'm saying, but they're not solving the problem that he's presenting. So this is another false, false secular intellectual dark web dichotomy. The tremendous advantages of science is if you want to be a scientist, you have to abandon being right. You have to be wrong all the time and learn and often learn. Yeah, the, that's, that's true. The that is true. You have to be you have to be willing to be. That's why when I'm teaching a kid music, one of the first things I train them how to do is to say, I don't know. There's been students that when, you know, they will be seven or eight 
and they don't know how to say, I don't know. And I'll, I'll just be like, okay, we're going to practice saying it together. I'm like, what's the name of this note? You're looking at a page. What's the name of it? And they're like, I don't know. Or they don't say it. They just, they just look down and then guess over, over and over. And I'm like, we need to practice saying, I don't know. Do you understand that if you look at something that makes no sense, the answer is, I don't know. And that is okay. What you presumed was true. But, and the same is true if you're a real engineer. In my first book, Maps of Meaning, I, I tried to provide a technical definition of ideology. And so I developed what I thought was a map of meaning, hence the name of the book, which is that a full is predicated on the idea that we inhabit stories, that we look at the world through a story, which is why stories are so attractive to us. And a story is about people in action going from one place to a more desirable place. That's our life. We're going from one place to a more desirable place. And that's punctuated by catastrophes of various magnitude. And we have to cope with those catastrophes. And um, that's like the rise and fall of Israel in the Old Testament. So it's got that structure. And oh, we're talking the Bible. story of, of in the We're talking about the Bible now? Oh, my gosh. The land of society. Well, there are characters you meet along the way. And you need to know about all the characters. You need to know about the positive element of nature. That's what the environmentalists worship. Gaia in her beauty and benevolence and plenitude. And that echoes through representations of Mary, for example, in Christianity. I'm not reducing one to the other. I'm just pointing out how these things interplay. There's the negative element of nature. That's the witch. That's the swamp. That's death and disease and mortality. The forces that are conspiring in the natural world to destroy us. And the social world is the same. There's a benevolent element, the wise king, and a tyrannical element, the tyrant. And in the individual, there's the heroic and the adversary, the hero and the adversary. That's Christ and Satan. That's played out all the time, especially in pop culture. The, the, the hostile brother motif is unbelievably common. Thor yeah. and Loki is an example. Batman and Joker. Um, yeah, he's right about a lot of this stuff. Like that hostile brother stuff, Cain and Abel, Thor and Loki, yeah. Superman and Lex Luthor. It's, it's there everywhere. It's there because we all contend with the malevolence in our own soul. That's part of why it's there. So a religious structure represents all of that. And... A comprehensive philosophy represents all of that. You see that in Freud. Freud had a representation in his thought system of every single one of those categories. So the ego was bipolar. The superego, the social world, was bipolar. The id, the natural world, was bipolar. Freud covered the territory. And so he could sneak mythology back into science because he got his... Yeah, Freud sure uh, covered the territory, huh? Story, right. And ideology just takes fragments of that. And it derives its power from the... No, he's backwards on that. An ideology, an ideology informed Freud. That is false. That is not how, the, like, it's presuppositional. And it's one of the things I understood early, and I, de- I definitely understand it from um, the way I teach music. PEMDAS. Okay, you guys know PEMDAS? PEMDAS. Everyone learned it. The order of operations... In, in mathematics, the order of operations is a rule that tells the correct sequence of steps for evaluating a math expression. We can re- remember the order using PEMDAS, parentheses, exponents, multiplication, and division from left to right. This is really what it's about rather than like a ranking system, rather than a, uh, you know, it's really order of operations. I've been talking this shit for like 10 years in music. That's how I teach. Well, I don't reveal this right away. 
Um, but is how I teach. I teach in terms of pen deaths and like, there are things that are more important. There are things that need to be accomplished right away. And then after that, we'll get to that. And if someone has their PEMDAS out of order in terms of mu- this works in every field. This is why I this is one of the grounding philosophical things that I take seriously in any worldview. It's is is your order of operations correct? And. Like and I know this like hardcore in in music. But it's it's not what he this guy is talking about right now. It's not what he's saying. His PEMDAS is so off, yo. Let's watch this again. Those categories. So the ego was bipolar. The superego, the social world, was bipolar. No. The id, the natural. Where's God? Where the where is God? Natural world was bipolar. Freud covered the territory, and so he could sneak mythology back into science because he got his story right. An ideology just takes fragments of that. And it derives its power from the underlying religious truth. So no. you're a rebellion. No, it is not. Well, okay, let's keep watching. This hero rejecting the demands that society makes on you because of its corrupt and deceitful and tyrannical nature. It's like, yes, true. But it's an ideology because it's not true enough. It's missing the rest of the story. But there is a correct ideology. No one can last a day without an ideology. There is a correct one. Focus on the word one. There is one that is correct. And so you need the rest of the story. It's not optional to know this. You don't know it and you're in big trouble. So, for example, if you don't understand that there's malevolence in your own soul and you only see it in the external world, you're not going to be able to adapt to the external world. It's going to turn itself into your enemy. You're going to never grow up because you won't adopt any responsibility because you can't distinguish it from tyranny. These things have real consequences. You know, and if you only see... Yeah, when extrapolated out to the society, these things do have real-world consequences, but I would be careful about what tyranny is. There's tyranny everywhere. I mean, I'm, yo, I'm (laughs) anti-lockdown. I'm anti, like, uh, overstepping of government government shit. (laughs) But be careful, man. Well, Caretaker says this is amazing. Uh, you are you truly are a teacher. That's a fundamental lesson, and to give it to a seven year old makes an impact on their life. Yeah, I mean, and I struggle with um, what to reveal to the seven year old. I mean, I'm teaching about, uh, you know, I don't know. I actually don't know all the ages of my students, but none of them are under six. But yeah, I mean, it's really important. It's really important what also what you like if I were to be like PEMDAS and uh, exponents and uh, and uh, that would never work. But you have to teach with PEMDAS in mind. You have to. There are things because it all PEMDAS is not even the most fundamental. The most fundamental is there are things more important than others. That's really what it's all about. That's why the first lesson I do on the whiteboard is about notes. And the second lesson I do on the whiteboard is about rhythm and the fundamentals, like true fundamentals of what that, that stuff is, you know, and you know, I barely even plan it out, but yeah, that's why I think I can teach people as young as, you know, I say five, but it's not about that. Like people are more immature or ready for it at five. And some I've taught some people as old as 60 that were not ready for the fundamentals. 
but those 60 year olds, they had some psychological shit going on. They like weren't ready. Teaching music is fascinating because you're just teaching a skill and, and it's a, it's a skill that it does. It's, it's interesting because it doesn't matter on so many levels and it really matters on so many levels. As soon as we get to survival mode, music doesn't matter. But when I play you that country song or that gospel song, when we're in survival mode, that shit will matter. And that shit will probably make you work harder the next day. I don't know. I don't have the whole thing figured out. I'm not God. But, you know, skills have a lot in common in that way. That's why I really enjoy it because there there are fundamental things that people can understand, but there's nuanced things that you can't understand across skills, but they relate to each other. It's, I don't know. I'm not doing it justice right now, but there's things like fundamentals don't change, but nuances across skills change. That's, that's kind of what I'm saying. You know, but there's things about learning different skills that unite each other. But, you know, life is amazing, dude. (laughs) That's what I, that's kind of what I'm saying too. Life is amazing. God is amazing. People are amazing. And if you can have patience and humor along for the ride while telling the truth, you'll have such a good experience. You'll have just such a like organic, uh, life full. I mean, full of life experience. If you just keep telling the truth and pursuing quality, you and you know, you better believe that God invented quality. God did not made make anything bad. <laughs> no, God made shit good. He made shit good, and he he didn't make the fruit in the Garden of Eden to taste bad, and he didn't make like. Adam's ability or whoever's man, you know, you know, Adam was the first man, but do you think that he made Adam to make stuff badly? No, there is such a thing as logos. There's a, such a thing as like quality logos and like objective skill in a field and it's attainable and it's achievable. It's attainable, not at God's level, but man's level, which is made in the image of God. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It is is beautiful and it is attainable. Um, being without sin, I don't think is is really attainable. But beauty, like there's beauty to be found in imperfection. You can take imperfection and craft it and mold it to be beautiful in God's image. It's it's, it's such a cool thing about life nature as benevolent, then you have no appreciation for what society is protecting you from, and you have no sense of the fundamental fragility of human beings. So an ideology parasitizes a religious trope. That's what it does. That's why it has power. And so it, it appeals to us instinctively, and because it's a half-truth or a quarter-truth, but, but it's a quarter-true. So I tried in Maps of Meaning to say, look, here's the, here's the entire symbolic world. And you need to understand it so you don't fall prey to partial misrepresentations. So that's part of it. The other part is, the problem with an ideology is it doesn't actually tell you what to do, not not if you actually want to solve a problem. So with Trombley, for example, when he was studying aggression, 
he had to decompose his original a priori assumptions, which were basically Rousseauian. People are good and they learn to be aggressive. He had to learn in high resolution. And then he realized that, well, one thing you could do to decrease some manifestations of aggression among some children, some of the time, was to provide single mothers who were young and poorly educated and who manifested signs of psychopathology, which doctors can pick up very, very easily, provide them with support during pregnancy in the first year or two of their life, and their children are much more likely to fall out of the violent category, and the long-term return on investment is extremely positive. Now, that's high-resolution thinking. He actually wanted to solve the problem. The ideology just tells you what to think about everything, so you're always right, and someone else is always wrong, and even worse, they're evil, and that's where things go out of control. As soon as the evil person isn't you... These these guys both need Christianity because Christianity really solves all the problems he just described. In the last 60 seconds, this is a very like uh, good summation of what yeah, it's what Christianity solves. It's like we're all evil, but we're all not because we're fallen. Well, once we sin, we are. And sin exists across generations. This Now I'm getting into the debates between denominations. So I'm going to stop pretty soon. About like, but at, at the end of the day, sin exists. And one of the biggest debates between the, dare I say, three denominations Protestantism, Orthodox, and Catholicism gets into like what sin is, who committed it, and when they committed it. You know, and I'm not your, this is one of the things I'm, I'm just not your deep dive guy. I'm just not because I could be 20 years. Give me 20 years because there's been debates on this going back 2,000 years by, Church fathers, all kinds of people, man. You got to look into it yourself. Like, but like, who committed sin? When does sin uh, get committed? How does it get forgiven? Who do you admit it to? It's crazy, but but I will say that if you take those three denominations, <laughs> uh, Orthodox. Catholicism and Protestantism, which is Protestantism is the biggest like misnomer, but let's say it first generation Protestantism, you know, is that the right word? Protestant Protestantism. Anyway, they had all of them have a different take on this issue, but I'm not talking about like last hundred years Protestants, but like, they all had a different thing, a different take on this thing. But you have to solve the problem of like evil, original sin, and how to solve it. Is it like repentance to yourself? Is it repentance to a priest? Is it, I mean, that's to a priest or in confession is both Catholicism and orthodoxy. Um, but it's nothing about what these dudes are talking about. That's my point. It's like all the things that that the real Christianity is talking is has, resembles nothing about the intellectual dark web or Jordan Peterson or Ben Shapiro 
or Dave Rubin or Dennis Prager or any of the, like, I, I didn't look it up earlier. Who are the actual Christians in, I would say without, I, I clicked on something over here to like, look up who is really Christian in the intellectual dark web. I would bet the most Christian is Jordan Peterson. Not good. Not Christian. You, you're on shaky ground. Now, you know, I've been criticized too because I stress personal responsibility. It's like, it's not like I don't stress social responsibility. It's like, but you're loose cannon, man. Get yourself tied down. Straighten yourself the hell up. See if you can say what you believe to be true and open your eyes and, and then and take on some responsibility in a manner that will make you suffer if you're wrong. And then if you can survive that trial by fire, which you can define, then maybe you can dare to Why start. Why can you define it? Moving the dials and levers of the broader world. It's more a call to humility than, hmm. than a denial of. Reflections in the chat says uh, openly agnostic is best in the IDW. That's true. I agree with that. Or like Gnostic. Gnostic might be a better better way of saying it. Yeah. Slap says, it, it is dark. It is a web. It's no place I'd like to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, we got to do a stream on Gnosticism. Social responsibility. Of course, you're unbelievably responsible for your society and should do what you can to Why? improve. In what way? But you bloody well better make sure that you've got yourself together if you're going to go and do that, because other people will suffer for your mistakes. So Jordan, one of the things that you talk about in the book, which is I think really wonderful. These, and, and I hadn't heard you talk about it. a lot. These cuts are fucking with my head. Are there any more ads in here? Okay. None. Okay. Not before you've done in some of your lectures, but it hasn't been main theme. It's sort of the relationship question. You know, how do you maintain romance in your relationship? And as a dude who's been married for almost 13 years at this point, uh, I can say that, you know, it, it is very, very good advice. I mean, the amount of work that has to go into a relationship to keep a relationship functioning at a high level is tremendous. And that's not what you are sold in the media. What you're sold in the media is, number one, the happily ever after wedding ending. But even that is now hackneyed. Now the idea is that there is no happily ever after, that basically you're a fool if you get married and that true happiness lies in changing partners on a, on a fairly routine basis. But that's not the case that you make at all. You make the case that happiness is going to lie and fulfillment, more importantly, is going to lie in the hard work of, of putting romance into your relationship. And, and people, I think, when they get into this thing, they don't know how much work it is to even do the sort of thing where you, plan, you have to plan romance into your life, particularly after you have kids. It's a reality. I had a lot of clinical experience, you know, and I had men in my practice who were very successful, serial, serially sexually active. And it didn't work for them very well. Now, I would say very forthrightly, if I had two men and all other things being equal, one was capable of serial sexual relationships and was attractive enough to manage that, and the other wasn't, that the person who managed to do that is more successful. I believe that. So if you're abstinent because you're incapable, that is not a virtue. But you can't divorce something as miraculous as sexuality from your life. How are you going to do that? Well, you can trivialize it. It's nothing. Well, okay, well, then, then, then you have nothing. So good luck with that. You're going to take one of the deepest sources of meaning that's available to you and turn it into nothing. Well, that's its own punishment. Well, so then you integrate it into your life. Well, what do you want for your life? Do you, I mean, do you want to be, what, what, is, what is it that you want from sex? Do you want intimacy? Do you want closeness? Do you even want the experience to be of high quality? Do you want the person to bankrupt, dude, bankrupt? It's all bankrupt. It's about, 
a man and a woman procreating to have a child. Oh, man. Pay attention to you. Well, they're going to have to care for you. I mean, lust will get you somewhere, and it's not nothing. But, but it's by no means everything. And, and everyone knows this. People are lonely. They, they, everyone does know that, that it's not nothing. They sure. need, and they need someone to communicate with, and they need someone to tie themselves together with. So their lives make a rope. They need someone to communicate with when times are good and to share their triumphs. And they need someone to share their catastrophes. And they need a framework that's stable so that they can have children. And well, why would you have children? It's like, that's a stupid question. Mm. It's like, well, no, no, it's not. What else are you going to do? So the answer is, what else are you going to do? You know, I mean, there aren't that many things that make up your life. And in- Yeah, that's one of the things that really turned me on to Peterson back in the day. But now reflecting on it, I'm just like, what? It's like you will, one of Peterson's uh, points about having children is that you will be missing out if you don't do it. You'll be missing out on one of the great challenges of humanity. This is a true statement. It is true. It is one of the great challenges, but it's not the point. God's the point, man. It's really like God's the point. The first commandment is to be fruitful and multiply. It's like you can think about all the things that you want. It's, it's It's why I believe in God. It's because... Oh... It sounds crazy, but it's my ability to understand the signal chain. This is a crazy point, and I've actually explained it to two, maybe two students out of like thousands, actually thousands of music students I've ever had. Like I've under, I've explained the signal chain to hundreds of students. They've gotten to this level of like like where sound starts and where sound ends, right? That's the signal chain. If you want to learn how to do sound or run a mixing board or to record people, you have to understand what the signal chain is. The signal chain is the the path the audio takes from sound creation to sound perception. In other words, how it ta- goes from my brain to your brain and all the steps in between. Right now, that my sound is coming from my brain to my vocal cords to my mouth out the air to the microphone to the cord into my interface into my computer out to OBS the whatever software I'm using which is OBS to the internet to your program to your headphones or however you're listening to this and that is the signal chain every step that the audio takes. Okay, that is a way of understanding reality. That's like there's God in that. (laughs) Like, that's what I'm saying. And if you can trace the path that the audio takes, you can philosophically or in the the realm of reality, trace everything. You can you can trace philosophy. You can every realm of the senses, but the senses are not where the signal chain stops. Like, where did (laughs) where did the mind come from? (laughs) Where did the mind come from? (laughs) The mind is not evolutionary. I mean, okay. If you think that cool, (laughs) 
<laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> but I think you're wrong. But like that's what really my my studies of recording music and recording and and doing sound for people and tracing things through that s- signal chain led me to me believing that there has to be a God. And this is prior to me being a Christian way prior. This is four years before I became a Christian. Again, I was raised Christian, but this is what got me into like Eastern stuff and just philosophy of just like That's why I think philosophy is in a weird way above theology because philosophy is just thought. And it's like, if you think about it, where did it start? Like some soup, like having sex with like a big, a big bang and then years. And then like atoms having sex with electrons and then like some sort of like primordial Darwinian soup, like having sex with each other over and over until some surprise happened. Sounds kind of thin to me, bro. It started with God and God invented everything we have. And if you don't get into that, if you don't get into that on some level, that's why I have more respect for like far leftists and like hardcore. I have the respect for the hardcore because these guys talking are not hardcore. Like you're talking about Marvel comics and shit. I mean, and look, I'm an entertainer. I'm talking about, I'm strawmanning a little bit, but I, I'm not saying, I'm not strawmanning because I don't get their point. But your whole, we've talked about it many times tonight. Your whole worldview is derived from like the story about how people act. You watch how people act. Like, oh, there must be a story. There's a mythology. It's because it's like, people can't act without a story. No, no, no. There's this thing called truth. There's this thing called reality. And then people act. And after that, they invent shit. I don't know. That step of what I'm talking about is the hardest to figure out. It's like, why after the objective truth did the people act in a certain way that creates a new narrative? That's the part that I'm really weirded out about. So in terms of his, history, I'm talking about the people in the years, let's just say 2000 BC to the year AD. That's the, the stuff I still struggle with. You know, the uh, Babylonian, Assyrian, whatever. The other people that were doing their thing while the Israelites were doing their thing. That's the stuff that I struggle with, but I know that Christ is Christ. I believe that Christ is Christ. Christ is God. It's very hard to figure out. Maybe it's supposed to be that way. I don't know. Shit's crazy, man. I love life so much. And I love live streaming. I love philosophy. It's one of the, it's, it's really, I would, there's nothing I would rather do. Intimate relationships. That's, 20% of your life or 30% of your life. Children, that's 20% of your life. Now, you can get away with neither of those, but you better have a walloping career or a tremendous aptitude at something creative and remarkable. And maybe you can do that. Maybe that'll be enough for you. But I've seen that unidimensionality work out well very, 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 very rarely. So, and you have children because you won't have, 
you'll never have the opportunity in your life to have as high quality a relationship with anyone as you could potentially have with your child. So you're going to forego that? Well, you can, but what's left for you then? All this cynicism. I hate Ben Shapiro's. His his faking ass, like rehearsed face. I hate it. It, You know what? It's aimed against blind obedience. It's like, fair enough. Okay. So I would take a cynic over someone who's blindly obedient any day, especially a cynic who was once blindly obedient, because at least then they had managed that. But if you're really cynical, you move past cynicism. You doubt your doubt and you start to notice and then you engage in your life. And so young people are being sold a shoddy bill of goods. Even if you're successful at what you pursue, say serial sexual satisfaction, Tinder, you're a hot Tinder item. It's like, well, if you're a male and you're attractive and you have an endless array of willing females, it's a gateway to psychopathy as far as I'm concerned, because you have to divorce your sexuality from the humanity of the people that you're engaged with sexually. Well, all that's going to do is make you hard and bitter. And I wouldn't definitely makes me hard. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Oh, my goodness, dude. What are these fucking guys talking about? Oh, my gosh. Recommend it. So and it's not casual moralizing. Yeah. You know, I'm not suggesting that. Naive abstinence is the right solution. But we're not doing a good job, Ben, of of communicating the fundamental values of life to our young people. I got a story to tell you, man. You're right. I I talked to this woman this week on Me Park. And she wrote a book called In Order to Live. She's an escapee from North Korea. You're not doing a good job of, what do you say? What is the, uh, our young people. I got a story to tell you, man. I got a, he talks to Joe Biden, dude. He talks to fucking Biden. (laughs) He transitioned so quick, dude. Like (laughs) hard and bitter. And I wouldn't recommend it. So, and it's not casual moralizing. You know, I'm not suggesting that naive abstinence is the right solution. But we're not doing a good job, Ben, of, of communicating. We're not doing a ju- good job, Ben, of communicating. The fundamental values. The fundamental of life values. To our young people. I got a story. To, to the fundamental values of, of life to our young people. Keep in mind, look, I've stopped a lot. Like, they're about to wrap up the interview right now. I to tell you, man. I, I talked to this woman this week, Yeonmi Park, and she wrote a book called In Order to Live. She's an escapee from Fuck, dude. North Korea. And like, she had quite the life, man. Like, starvation, then slavery. With, that kind of sums up her life. She had to sell her own mother, whom she loved. I mean, you just think about that for like 15 minutes and see where it gets you. And, and she was literally a slave in China. And... She struggled through all that, ended up in South Korea and went to a South Korean university. She did all her education in one year, elementary, junior high and high school in one year, passed the GED and got into it. This a- means nothing, dude. Oh, my gosh. Look at the outro of this stream, dude. Competitive South Korean university. It's like, this is quite the girl. And she, her book, it wraps up in 2015. So I asked her about what's happened in recent years. She went to Columbia University. So imagine this girl struggles out of North Korea and slavery, and pursues her education, and gets to go to an Ivy League school in New York. It's like the pinnacle of her ambition. She was drastically affected by George Orwell's uh, Animal Farm when she was in South Korea. It's one of the first classic books she read, and that's what made her decide to write and to speak. So she can understand the value of the humanities, like virtually no one else can. She went to Columbia. I said, well, how was that? She said, it was a complete waste of time and money. 
And I said, well, wait a second. You can't, you can't really mean that. Surely, in your four years studying humanities at Columbia, you must have had one professor or one course that spoke to you, you know, the way that the book. Surely, uh, I'm not joking, and don't call me Shirley. <laughs> Just to quote the, the airplane flick in the, the, that we're, we're drawing from right now. That you were reading spoke to you, that, that, that the person made the attempt to push past the limitations of the institution and, and mentored you. She mentioned one human biology said, class. I look at she learned about evolution. Sorry, uh, but said shit, that that was all twisted. Shit. I said, <laughs> I look over at the chat and I see Seth McCandy said, she said, stop calling me Shirley. By political correctness Dang to it. the end. I did. I beat you to it. Okay. I can never tell what the actual chat delay and things like that, <laughs> but I beat, you, <laughs> I beat you to it. Stop calling me Shirley. Stop it. Just stop it. Stop calling me Shirley. <laughs> oh, man. I loved it. I love it. So and that was much. all she could okay. muster up for four years of. of muster she said up. that she felt just about as stymied in her freedom of speech <laughs> at Columbia University studying humanities as she did in bloody North Korea. That's what we're doing to our young people. It's He's so crying. Appalling. He's always so crying. Appalling. He's There's always so crying. Much t- that people can be offered repent this richness of the past so much that's yeah. desperately necessary. This isn't optional. You know, the idea that man does not live by bread alone, dude. Religious claptrap. Yes, it is to you. It is to you. Believe in Jesus, dude. Ugh. Is the Bible real or is it not? Is Christ real or is it not, dude? I hate these half measures, man. It is insane to me. Like he's quoting the look, look, we are 90 seconds left in this interview. Is Christ real? Is Christ not real, bro? And he's like about to cry at every venture. Like, wow, man. Stymied in her freedom of speech. At Columbia University studying humanities as she did in bloody North Korea. That's what we're doing to our young people. It's so appalling. So appalling. There's so much that people can be offered. This richness of the past. So much that's desperately necessary. This isn't optional. The idea that man does not live by bread alone. That's not religious. How dare you? That's. She said she was in this room in South Korea. A little room full of books. She studied so hard she had to go to the hospital because she forgot to eat. I said, a little room isn't little if it's full of books. So what, what nation has any, like what nation matters compared to God? I'm not being, I'm not being anti-nationalist right now. I am a nationalist. I care about my nation. I care about what's going on in today's society, but I'm just saying the way that like, Oh, He's comparing what happened with Jesus to North Korea. Wow, man. You guys get it. You guys get it. I've been speaking this shit for hours. I love you all. (laughs) I love you all. This is a great stream. This is a great thing we have going. I'll see you tomorrow at 10 a.m., right? Long night. My long night, 
my long friend, time friend, he's been a friend. He stays a friend in and out of my public life. <laughs> that was a good one. I'm going to do more, more and more of this, this stuff. Okay. It's a good time. The John McAfee stream was great. The Jordan Peterson stream. Very good tonight. Can you express my views? Things like that. You guys take care. <laughs> it was fun. I repeated myself a lot. We went through some ups and downs. I got a bunch of thumbs downs on my video. You know, <laughs> you guys are great. 10 a.m. tomorrow with the Daily Gramus. If you want to follow or subscribe, you can check the description and see where to find it. Instagram, Twitter, give me money, but I don't even care about money. I care about you suggesting guests to have on, you bothering them yourself, and you telling me what to talk about on my, uh, on my programs. But 10 a.m. tomorrow, and then we're off for a full weekend. Because I'm going out of town, dog. Going down to hang out with some real friends, guys. Love you guys. God bless. That was fun. We'll do something like that every week, you know. I don't like doing it until I start doing it. So. All the lurkers, all the listeners on the various platforms. Periscope, Odyssey, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, and Trovo and DLive. Ba-bam, ba-ba-bam, ba-bam, bam. Have a fantastic night. Believe in the one true God, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Read your Bibles. All the good stuff. Have a good one, my people's people's brethren. See you around.